All right. All right. So we were talking about that the body, mind, feeling complex, the Satipatthana. Yeah, feelings. It's is, is useful to pull it apart in order to get the various aspects of it. Mm-hmm. But it is really an integral whole. Mm-hmm. An example of that would be like the body of an automobile and the automobile engine. Neither one of them are of much value without the other. Mm-hmm. In the sense that you can take the engine out and then you can sit in the car and do zoom, zoom and move the wheel, but you're not going anywhere. Or you can go sit on that motor <laughs> and get your butt burned, but you're not going anywhere. It's yeah. only that, uh, in fact, this is a, a, a typical uh, example of general systems theory. General systems theory, one of the, uh, the postulates is, is that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. What does that mean with the transportation automobile is, is that it's the transportation that is uh, greater than the sum of the parts of the automobile. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, I know what you mean here, yes. All right, exactly. well, now we can look at the human being as an integrated whole in the sense that it also has functions, and we can use that same word would be transportation, but in also the case of the human being, it would not be just transportation, but it would also be intelligence. So intelligence itself is something that's greater than the whole. It's the whole part of the body that's greater than the sum of the parts. And in that sense, I think that's what all yoga, I mean, the yoga is all meant to awaken intelligence. Not just like, not just, um, you know, intellect, but I mean like real um to, I've heard another name for it, and maybe this might be a hard word to understand in the sense of the witness, the witnessing state of con- a, witness, a, a type of discernment, like, you know, in that sense. And that's what I feel is happening in that sense, where there's a dissociation between the body and the awareness or consciousness. I don't know the right word in Buddhism because Buddhism has a very hard way to understand these this word because i learned there's there's awareness and then there's individuality there's an individual and that individual thinks you know basically he's an individual and that's not correct because he's that's just one basically that goes back to descartes yeah i think therefore i am Mm -hmm. right that's completely wrong yeah, it is wrong. The correct way of saying it is that I think, therefore I think I am. Mm-hmm. That in fact, that uh, that individual that you're speaking of <clears throat> is actually a, um, let us call it a linguistic tool or a handle or a way of naming something that is actually the results of... Um, the, the unity that is the, the, that which is greater than the sum of the parts. Mm-hmm. 
but there is no individual there. There is no me there. There is no self there. There is no, for instance, and this is the reason why the Buddha talks about the five aggregates the way that he does. Mm -hmm. The five aggregates are actually an introduction to Paticca Samapada in the part that look at the body itself. There is no self in the body. There is no me in the body itself. So when we say my body, that's actually just a, uh, um, a linguistic tool or a trick, but it causes confusion because people really do think that not only is it my body, but that there's a my or a me in there that yeah. owns that body. And the easy way to understand that is, and it even Jesus said it, that you cannot change your stature not one whit, but we can go further than that. You're not a changeling. You can't be an old man today and a young girl tomorrow and uh, a snake next week and all of that kind of stuff. You don't have the kind of control of the body that when you're a baby, you have a baby's body. And as the body itself matures, the individual can have a whole lot of different thoughts about the body, but he has no control over that body. And this is exactly um, this is exactly the point of when you get older, uh, for some people, the consciousness peaks at the sense of they get conscious of their life, but that's as far as it goes. They don't get conscious of actually the outer experience. What, they don't get conscious of basically the unconscious, like the things that they didn't look at before, or maybe the things that they missed, or maybe mm -hmm. just bigger, bigger, unknown, the things that are unknown to them, that are not known, in that sense, that are not witnessed yet. And in that sense, I've heard that the goal of meditation, uh, from one of my first, I guess I would consider him a teacher in this sense, is that he said that the goal is at least for a beginner is to get to the point where the field of action can be discerned from the witness that the action would not be something that is done but would be seen as an action and that's what we're doing because that's exactly what changed when you said those words Con no dennis it's just confusion that i understood that unwholesome is unwholesome wholesome is wholesome that there's no need to fear you're, there are no, there is no set rules here mm -hmm. in that sense. And the, for me, is like, obviously, we're going to experience, if you, if you work on this practice, you're going to experience basically uh, the witness in that sense of like, you're going to witness everything in that sense. What happens? What happens in your body? What happens in your mind? But there's a point where it becomes like, okay, everything that's happening isn't me. And that's overwhelming. Like I literally had this experience the other day where I was, I was happy. I was calm, but my mind wouldn't stop running. It was running like really aggressively without my permission. Like it was kind of like really going, going, going like it always does without my permission. Like, but this like time, any wild animal that is but, untrained, but in the sense I wasn't, I wasn't like allowing it to overcome. I was like, okay, well, stay calm right now at this moment. It seems like it was just my body and mind. I think it was just because I was so, um, I was enduring, let's just say in that sense, I was still there, 
but I knew that my mind was kind of like, I just needed to get alone for a little bit. I knew I was okay, but I, I needed to kind of reset it up, like endure, endure, be happy in that sense. Um, but even then, like, for some reason, it seems like, because the bliss, and I mean, I don't like to use that, I don't, you don't like to use that word, but sukha, the sukha, and mm-hmm. that the bodily pleasure is mixed with the awareness right you you can't you can't separate the two because it seems like i've had people that they have this experience and i've had the experience where it seems like there becomes depressed depersonalized numb out zen you know oh my god like they're enlightened but there's no life there's no life there's no juice there's just I'm witness. I just stand here as a witness and nothing's happening. Like, and and I, is the goal of the practice to integrate that basically the right view into your life, like consciousness that we would, that we would embody our life with that sense of unboundedness. But how is that possible? How can you keep your body and your personal life if you ultimately experience what the Buddha said, unbounded consciousness? which is basically not my life, not my body, not anything. It's not anything you can say or, or word in that sense, because people obviously they have to face the fact that you're going, your ego in the sense your, your individuality will dissolve eventually. Not in the sense you're going to die, but there's definitely going to be a sense of your bull crap needs to die. And by even if it's like the practice will come out, it will make it come out. And I felt that over the past days where it's like, there's a feeling within within this there's a feeling that holds this all together and it's called restlessness and that's the thing that i've been experiencing i would say no i would say let me uh at least interject here please no the restlessness is what pulls apart the unity yeah restlessness does not bind us together Mm -hmm. that restlessness is in fact um it's it's the response or the reaction to something deeper. Yeah, explain this. And please. what is that deeperness? The deeper is fear. Yes, exactly. Okay, we're getting All somewhere right. here. <laughs> but, but but going back, let's just go back a bit. You've please. covered quite a lot of territory. One of the things that we can do is we can um, look at the word that you're using, consciousness, because the way that you're using consciousness is the typical Western way. Mm-hmm. And that uh, along with that, we have things like subconscious and unconscious and, and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. To where um, there's another kind of consciousness. And so we're actually going to be using the word in two different ways. One is sense consciousness. Sense consciousness, and there are four, five, six, <laughs> six senses. So when you are, um, let us say, when you are uh, chewing, a morsel of food, you have a number of sensations inside of the mouth. We roll things around with the tongue, we place it under the teeth, we chew on it. We also experience the juice 
and often will swallow the juice and leave the fibers to be rechewed. We also do things like taste, and so there's a lot of stuff going on in that morsel of food. Actually, our whole life is like that because we do generally have all of the senses. And in fact, one of the issues of uh, hot cuisine would be that the food has to look good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so we bring the appetizing quality of the food in with more than one sense. And that each one looking at the food is different than... Um, observing the juice to swallow, which is different from the actual taste of the food, etc. So we're actually using several senses to it, but that whole quality, the whole unit of all of those things, then comes up to a different kind of experience, and that experience that we're talking about is that other kind of consciousness. This is called like, and from what I in my past, the name was cosmic consciousness in the sense of wholeness, unity well, consciousness. Actually, let's go a, um, a little bit more in detail, and we can get highfalutin later. Please, and uh, the right terms, because sometimes the me because I came from the tantric background, and we have words like ahamkara, and and things like that in the sense of like. And it's really similar if you really take out the magic, if you really take out the magic. And that's really what's been helping me is taking out all these magical terms and replacing them with something more grounding. Mm. Real. Exactly. Something less. Uh, all right. You know. So um, the Buddha actually used the word um, Sanya in two different ways. But normally we use two different Pali words. One is consciousness or the sense consciousness. And then the other consciousness is, let us call it the figuring out consciousness. Or the understanding consciousness. Uh, the example is, oh, I see the tree. Is one kind of consciousness, see the tree. The second kind of consciousness is, oh, I see what you mean. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm seeing what <laughs> I see what you mean. <laughs> I see what you mean. Now, this kind of consciousness is, is uh, referred to as an internal sense organ or salayatana, to where the, poly, the word atana is actually all of these senses. But then there is a salayatana, an internal sense. And basically, it works like this, that when we see something with the eye, we have the eye and the object, and that that is sight. Sight, then, is processed. And that processing is, we use the, the, uh, the term in English, of uh, perception. We perceive. Now, if you look at that word perception closely, it means that we perceive the word see that we're looking so um, perceiving or perception means that which happens immediately before we see yeah so the okay. outcome of perception is actually seeing as one form of sense in fact all of the senses because that um, 
uh, the Salyatana then is a combination of all of the other senses, some of which play bigger port parts than the other. Now, uh, what perception does is it basically, um, let's, let's look at it this way. The distinction is going to be between the architectural drawings of a building, all of the pile of materials that it takes to make that building, and the building itself after it's completed. Yes, okay. Okay, you got those three things? The architectural right. drawing, the architect, right. the, the the components, the components, and then the building after it's built. Okay, yeah, the finished work. Okay, okay, I see. So we can see then that the architectural drawings is one kind of consciousness, and the actual building itself is another kind of consciousness. Oh, okay. So see, this is where the 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 wording is. When you say consciousness, you mean awareness of that. Of an of a thing, something is in the presence I'm of. I'm going of, to intentionally avoid the word awareness. Okay, I don't want because I really I'm not playing that game of like awareness is God, but like in the sense of, um, because I know the whole thing about how people some people think awareness is the whole thing, and, but like, you mean in the sense of like you become there's a there's a I know I know I know that's it okay that's okay, the building. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The architectural drawings is, what is this? And then the building itself is, I know. And then what is the, the components? That and the, build, the components are the Sankara. All of the stuff that you use to construct that building with only the idea of the sense input of the tree. So 99% of what I do when I say I see that tree is not the actual site. It's the taking of the old trees that I've got inside, cataloging them, coming through and recognizing that that object, in fact, is not a stump. It's a tree. It's not a house. It's a tree. It's not an airplane. It's a tree. How do I know that? It's because I've got all of these building materials in my mind called Sankara that I use to manufacture my understanding of what I'm seeing. Yeah, and this is where creativity and the sense of memory, memory comes right. from. Okay, so you can say then that creativity is nothing but taking a mental sense and mental uh, building materials of the mind and create and concocting something that we call Shalyatana. And a very clear Samyatana, then is the internal representation that is our knowing. We become conscious of it. Mm. An example of that would be you see someone coming, you process that, and you come up with a consciousness of danger. And this is and, really the foundation for a meditator, right? Is to start from this place. Of, of 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 starting to break down the the sankaras in that sense well like the personality yeah, at least one. bring down the uh the at least break down the process because what this begins to point out is is that no one no animal no life form actually lives in reality 
we live in a mentally constructed reality, and we construct that mental reality based upon sensory input plus our old set of building materials. Mm -hmm. So what we see with the eye is like the architectural drawings, and what we come up with, the building, is based upon all of the building materials that we use to build that building, Okay. okay. This is kind of weird. Like it makes you feel in the sense, okay. Like, and I've heard the, 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 rea- the, the thing about taking the splinter out because some people get confused. How can you use all this to free yourself if the thing is the trap? But, but I've heard like the, the splinter taking out the splinter. Okay. And this is, yeah. This is yeah, what this, the Buddha uh, would call action that leads to the end of action. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And we, we spoke about this before. And, and then right. the, the, the question would be, is because it's it's if you like again if you if you're committed and you follow this, what begins to happen, little by little, I've seen it, is is that you're basically your senses and and it feels like your senses are there, they're alive, like you're not thinking. It's like you're you're. It's weird. It's it feels like life is living itself. Mm-hmm. And it's really beautiful. Like it's it's incredibly beautiful, but in the sense of <laughs> well, that's up to you, depending upon your sand cars and which sand cars you're going to use to construct a beautiful world. All you really have is sensory input. It's what to you to do to make it into a beautiful world. So you is have Buddhism to make sense of it? So then why don't why isn't it said in the sense of refinement of perception? Ask that question again. Why? Why could it be said like a, a lingo? Um, could be said like the refinement of a, of perception, refining your perception, and 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 in the sense of like you keep digging until the right view is f- like so ingrained, because right view is what really set it off for me in the sense of like your personality is really not in the way of your life. And, and and that already is something that really embodies you in that sense. All right. Let's give another example. The example that I'm giving you now, I will call OCR. Do you know what the word OCR means? Mm-mm. Okay. It actually stands for Optical Character Recognition. All right. You know with, with the computer that you've got that there's a difference between text and an image. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does that mean? That means in a search engine, you can type in the word and then the text of that word can be found. But if that word is on an image, then the search is not going to find it. That word is on an image. What do you mean? Well, um, let us say that you have a video and the image on the video, um, at the beginning of the video, it'll have the title of the uh, video embedded right in the video. But that's an image. It's not actual text. Yeah, I see what you're saying. 
Yeah. Okay. Now let's go to it a little bit deeper. Anything that's actually on a piece of paper, even if it's text, is still just an image. Yeah. You cannot put that piece of paper into the computer and then scan and have the, uh, the computer find the text on that on that uh, image. However, there is a product called OCR. And how it came about was IBM was working with the post department, post office in order to find a way to sort mail. And in the very, very beginnings, you actually had to have a stylized way. And the first one that they did was courier because courier was uh, uh, the typeface that was used on most typewriters. But if it was script, then the uh, uh, the new computer machine that IBM built couldn't process the script. Okay. Also, it could not it could not process many other kinds of uh, stuff um, envelope addresses because they were not in the font that the original OCR knew. Hmm. For instance, if if you uh, if it was courier and it went to that address, it can say, okay, I can read that. I know what address it goes to, and I'll put this uh, in that particular bucket to go off to that city or whatever. But if it's in uh, um, um, uh, Times New Roman or uh, some silly script, hmm. then if uh, the computer doesn't have that script stored, then it can't make any sense out of it. Just like if you open a book that has uh, Sinhalese, a whole book of Sinhalese, you can't make any sense out of it because you don't have what each character is stored by and how it's used in relationship, like A and B and C, you know that. And you might even know some Greek with alpha and gamma and delta but you don't have any clue about either the TIE script or the Sinhalese. Okay, so now let's go to OCR for a moment. OCR is normally a software package that you can now buy and put on the computer, and some of those software packages are very, very sophisticated, but one of the things that's very, very interesting about it is, is that most of these software packages get uh, their database from two places. One is all of the TTF fonts that are stored in Windows. Every font that Windows knows about, plus you can get some new ones. Mm -hmm. So for yeah. instance, when you're in Microsoft Word, you can take it and you can uh, put it in uh, Helvetica, you can put it in Sans, you can put it in uh, uh, Times Roman, you can put it in Courier, any different ones because the fonts are stored in the computer which means the OCR software can take a page that, uh, that is photographed or scanned in as an image and then look at that image line by line, actually even finding out where lines are. And then the software, the OCR software, will look in the font database to see if that character that we've just discovered fits in our database so we can make sense out of it. Yeah. And so if it's a letter S, then we can put into, into our uh, computer code. It's called ASCII, by the way. There's other computer codes. There's Bardo. There is um, uh, Epidic or Epsidic. IBM had one. 
Uh, there's many different co uh, coding systems, even Morse code, but we don't hardly ever use Morse code anymore. In fact, we don't generally use Bardot. But what we do is we use ASCII. And so whatever representation, the bits of an ASCII code for S, it'll say, okay, that's an S or that's that code. Now, look at, look at what my finger is doing. What's the difference between this? Notice that what I'm doing. You already know what I'm doing. And it's now safe. this. And now watch my finger for the second one. It's mm -hmm. exactly the same thing, except that one's at a forty, uh, a ninety-degree angle. This. Oh my one, God. No, it's funny because I thought you were making the eight, the slide, the little, the 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 first one was the little eight on the side because you were doing this. It looked like actually, you were doing this. Actually, no, I'm drawing this way. I'm drawing the, maybe it's because of the camera. Okay, let me do it this way. Oh, okay. What is that? Like a wave. No, it's the infinity signal. Look at it. Look at the infinity. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see it now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, then you turn it on its edge and it goes like this. What is that? Um, so number eight, look at it again. Yeah. Okay, I see it, yeah. You flip it on its side, you said, yeah, it's eight. Yeah. Uh-huh, okay. So how is the OCR software going to know the distinction between an infinity sign and an eight? I don't know. It well, has to have like it in its software. thought. I have. Yeah. I know how exactly how you do it. You have to get a frame of reference or an orientation. That's exactly what I was going to say. That it's like we only the individual sal the saliatana only has one frame of reference, which is the personality view, right? But it comes from the processing of taking the visual input and the uh, sound input and our proprioceptic input and our touch input and all of the various inputs and trying to make sense of it and trying to make sense out of it how and do we is... make sense out of it we do that by by the art of perception and the the art of perception uses a database of memories this is so like... if you don't have a sig an infinity uh infinity um character stored in your database then uh, the OCR software won't know what to do with that infinity sign. Even though he can tell that it's a character, he does not know what character it is. Just like you don't know that Sinhalese character or that Thai character or that Chinese character, you don't have that stored in your database. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't have other things stored in their database, like love and kindness and generosity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what, actually, what do, what we do, do they we? have their but what do they have in their store stored in their database is competition, moral judgments. Uh, this uh, is right. Uh, this is wrong. Okay. Uh, and I feel yeah. bad. OK, so yeah. when they see an object, they'll pull up out of their database through perception to make sense out of it. And so the sense that they make out of it, the actual, um, in the OCR language, the actual character that we come up with 
may in many cases be wrong because we don't have, for instance, uh, an OCR package may not be able to do Sinhalese at all because you don't have a Sinhalese font put in your font database. But I can go online and I can go get a Sinhalese font, put it in the database, and now when I scan a Sinhalese piece of paper or a piece of paper that's got Sinhalese written on it, then the OCR software can read and turn into ASCII code, extended ASCII, these Sinhalese characters. Okay. And this is the whole thing, like, is there ever a point where we would, well, I don't want to talk about that far ahead, maybe. It's better to just say where I'm at right now in the sense of, okay. like, right now where I'm at in the sense of this, the, what we're talking about, is that I can see that the internal sense, I can see that very clearly that that really what, what's making all of this happen is this internal sense. It's really not my eyes. It's really not because my eyes, I can't, I really can't, I can't, I can't like grab my eye in that sense with my mind. You know, the perception really can't grasp anything like really, like really like, like, um, like hold it. And like, it's real, like in that sense. Um, so, but what's what's underneath all of that sensing, like individual, like frame of reference? When you start practicing, it feels like there's, like you, we've talked about this actually, and this is, and it's really interesting because it's felt always in my chest. It's always felt at the bottom of it is fear. It is, but it's almost like I've touched this fear before. I'm not going to say how. But, I, but I, I have had experiences of intense fear and terror that turn into extreme states of amazingness. Because, but the thing is, you don't have to suffer just because you're afraid. Like, like I don't believe that. I don't believe that, oh, because my body's reacting for something that's been happening okay. forever. I don't need to. But you do to, realize that, in fact, fear is, number one, it's the primary motivator. Not mm -hmm. just for humans, but for all life forms, mm -hmm. especially yeah, yeah. dogs and cattle. Yeah. That's the primary motivator is fear. Okay. Why is that true? Because without fear as a motivator, the entire species, whatever species that we're referring to, is going to wipe, get wiped out. Yeah, we're going to stop eating and living. That uh, the wildebeest, if they're not afraid of the lions, are not going to herd. They're not going to go into a self-preservation instinct um, behavior. Yeah, well, we won't do anything out of, out of having to anymore if we overcome that, that. Basically, it's not like intense. I'm sorry for using the word terror. It's just mm -hmm. that uh, in that sense, I have experienced that. But it was because um, when I was younger, I did things that... Uh, force that it wasn't like I did meditation or anything like that um, but in meditation that can happen but not all the time um, but in the sense like there is a fear in the sense that because really when you get down to it I, like because I really like talking to people about Dhamma but but sometimes like I think like like a it's the fear of death that everybody kind of circles around and wants to avoid like in that sense, oh my gosh. Well, what you know. do you think the self-preservation instinct is all about? 
Well, yeah, in that sense, and because in my life, it's I've already the like, self-preservation uh-huh. instinct, and basically, that's also it's a misnomer. It yeah, should and, be called the organism preservation instinct, and the organism preservation instinct is one of the qualities of uh, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Our instincts actually then are designed to keep us alive. Which is good. It's not horrible. It's not bad. But not it's, at all. it's the wrong view of it in that sense that for some reason still. Actually, like, a better way of talking about it is, is that the problem is too many false positives. This is what I was going to say, because you said that it's not that there's good in us. It's that we're taught there's good. There's better. There's something better than us or in the sense, you know, better, you know, the feeling of inadequacy comes from that polarity mm-hmm. of like, oh, there's something. Be-. But like as you practice, you realize that, no, it's just a moment and whatever is appropriate. Whatever is appropriate to this moment, how can I handle this with wisdom? Wisdom is better than mm-hmm. just wisdom is spontaneous with joy. It doesn't have any reason in that sense. Like it may have, but it does it like consciously it's not ignorant but in the because in, in in my life because that's like the existential thing for everyone it's like my life as i know it is not what is true so like this feeling as you practice because people like to make it for me i want to overcome it i don't want to make it a story like oh it's a fear and because of my mom no, like I've, I know my mom and me are good. We're not like, there's not, no one's perfect. I know that no one's going to reconcile the past. The past has been reconciled, but it seems like this body is an, is an interference in the sense of like the perception of my body, having a body, having a body, my body, I am a body. I have ears. I have nose. This is my mom, my life. All is predicated because I have body. I have a body. Mm-hmm. I'm not like doing that on purpose. It's like as more as I practice Anapanasati, it's clear to me that the biggest obvious thing in front of me is that this body is the very thing that's passing away before my eyes in every moment. It's changing. It's coming. It's changing constantly in flux. Everything is, is changing. But how can... Because I'm not dying. I'm not dying right now. Like this body is not falling apart. But... As you meditate, you do feel like there is something falling apart because I'm not my body. I'm something that's way more internal in the sense that's even an illusion. That the, ah, I got it. Okay, I got it. This is what I really, really <laughs> wanted to say is that what I'm experiencing is that there's more of a feeling instead of a body. That's, that's how you're going to experience your body. How can you experience your body if you don't feel it? Yeah, but before I practiced, I always thought, like, I always had this very engrossed, like, really, like, I'm a body. I have issues. Oh, this is you my are body. Not. Yeah, like, that's what I thought. Like, I really life on. But now it seems like the mind just is in this state of, like, in the cheat, chit, is, is that properly a chitta, a feeling? Or is it a vinyana? I don't know which one it was. Or vedana, um, vedana. Generally, the Buddha uses two different words for the mind. 
Yeah. The higher mind, the human part of the mind, the, the Pali word is mana or menu. And that the lower part of the mind, that which needs to be trained, that which is in the, uh, in the Satipatthana, is the chitta. Okay, and that chitta actually has various components, but mostly it is the thinking-feeling complex. This makes a lot of sense now. Yeah. <laughs> and the mana yeah. is the higher mind or the frontal cortex, and that's one that can, let us say, understand and put things together in a way that a dog cannot. The dog can actually recognize friend or foe. Like the, for instance, the owner comes, but that the owner, um, the way that he's dressed, the dog doesn't pay any attention to. But if, if the owner of the dog comes and the family is there, they can tell a whole lot of stuff about the owner, their uh, family member, by the way that he's dressed. For instance, disheveled and muddy. The dog doesn't see the disheveled and the dirty and the muddy. This is something that the humans are, are able to do. Okay, we can put things in context, and the context that we use to put things into is that very same thing, the Sankara. And so not only do we take sensory input, but we store it differently than the way that the dogs do. So that now we can go and, re and get that stuff back up. So that we can now do our own OCR with the images that the eye sees, and we can make sense out of that. We can actually understand that text because we've got those fonts stored, and the dogs don't have those fonts stored up. They don't have... Uh, those sand cars, nor do they even have the mechanism for doing the storage. It's like weird because when I'm at it, when, when I'm practicing, when I'm practicing Dhamma and I'm walking, sitting, whatever I'm doing, if I, if I, if, if I get into like a Sukha investigation and all, all the five factors and I, and I'm really going and I'm really mm -hmm. just intending and there seems to be like this this point where it becomes so in, like fo I don't like to use the word focused, but maybe it becomes oh I know the perfect word actually unification. It becomes unified mm -hmm. to such a degree that it almost feels like I'm being. It's almost like two things: the internal feeling it feels like I'm being pushed out, and then the internal feeling feels like I'm being drawn in. This internal feeling is, is interesting because it likes to move around and hide and then come. And it's really subtle because it's not always there. Usually it's more emotions. Emotions are the things that are proliferating. But it's like that eternal sense is, is way better than being in emotions. I'll tell you that much. It's, it's way better. Mm -hmm. But it's still something that I see, that, I'm, that I, I know, that I know is there. So mm -hmm. it's interesting because these subtle these subtleties are like the working of like okay so wholesome 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 that it's it's almost unbelievable to believe that that's all there is to it because it's like I just tell you, I'm just so happy that's the whole point it's like 
is that it's so beautiful to talk because I know that in re in reality, if I just keep going at it, this will you know eventually figure itself out. If I practice and keep uh, sharing my doubts and things like that, and my confusions. Um, <clears throat> when I hear you speak like that, I can hear that you're adding an extra ingredient that's not necessary, and that ingredient is time. Wait, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> you're right, though. You're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> you don't look sorry at all. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know you're right. I, I know you're right. But it's like, it, that is true. Like, And that's another thing that is very almost instant when you wake up. Like, maybe you'll be asleep, you know, I want, you know, you, you, you know, you kind of drowse off dream state. Uh -huh. But then at work, you know, but you, that's you made, a like normal way of existence. And then you wake up and then you're like, oh, my God, what the heck? Like, what <laughs> right. just... That is exactly. Aha. Yeah. Uh -huh, I see you, Myra. That and you're saying it in the words. What the heck? But it's the and... same wake up yeah. and say what am i doing and yeah, why should yeah. i have to feel bad and, and that's the whole thing and and you and like one thing that you've always recommended is sustaining that and not just making it a sitting thing mm -hmm. and that's what i've been doing for for longer like especially from i think it was like three or two calls ago where you told me to sustain it and keep it on the heart and keep it in the breath and mm -hmm. That's what I've been doing, and it feels well, that's like that's a skill to be developed. But the uh, original skill is being able to get into that state, and that's very like like, and that's the easier part. I'm not going to say I'm a master at it, but it's getting real easier. And 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 there are these moments where it's like almost the whole day is like like that. It's weird. Mm -hmm. I'm like even moment like the sun is beautiful. This even cars. You don't care about pollution. It's <laughs> it seems like everything is beautiful. Almost everything. And, but then it's like, well, beautiful and ugly is still a part of one's own internal sense or the, uh, the processing that we do, you know, let the me object say like, is just the object. That car is just a car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The beautiful is something that you add to it. We've known that. I mean, this is part of culture. When we say beauty is in the eye of the beholder, actually it's not in the eye itself. It's a little bit deeper in the process. Well, this is this is exactly how I like because um, somebody said to me that there is no such thing as reconciliation. There's only re um, integrate. There's integration. You integrate. Like there's no such thing as you you figure like you reconcile things. Like you go back in the past and no, you have to integrate everything into awareness. I mean, well, I'm sorry, into that wisdom. And okay, and and this is the part where like, like I'm telling you, like a sustaining it, and then, and then there's there's this simple, simple like kind of dot, I guess you could say. It's the internal sense. Or do we just stay with that, or do we kind of, kind of now make that our object and kind of breathe into it and and work into it and kind of like really kind of open it up and look at it. In that sense, um, there's many different ways of answering that question, and some of it has to do with the place that the student is progressing. Because I feel like All I'm right. stuck.
that's what I feel. Like I feel like I'm okay, but I feel like I want to go somewhere. I want to see like what do I do next? Do I just All keep... right. What do you do next is examine the desire to, to do next. something next yeah. because you're already good enough as you are and you know that. And this is where it's even a, a weirder question. You're in the habit of wanting more. Yes, thank you. I really enjoyed that plate full of food. I want another and another and another. So and, yeah. part, part of getting satisfied then is to be able to sustain that satisfaction and you you just gave yourself away. Oh, I've got the satisfaction and now I want more. Well, if you want more, that means that you're not satisfied. Mm-hmm. So it's not real satisfaction. The real satisfaction action is to recognize that you do want more and then you can tell yourself it's okay so let's go back and use for this one thing let's use the example of fear mm-hmm. because fear is very common when I say very common I would say that every human being that's, let us say an ordinary human being not domadudes an or ordinary people are uh, moving in and out of a state of fear, maybe a hundred or maybe three hundred times a day. Man, that's maybe I forgot. <laughs> maybe I forgot. <laughs> but all I, right, it's... here's an example. You've got to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. You're sitting in that room right where you are, and you've got to go to the bathroom. Why do you got to go to the bathroom? What is that all about? Isn't there fear that you'll shit on yourself right there in your pants if you don't go to the bathroom to do it? <laughs> no, it's <laughs> it's it's uh, I just go, I just do it. Pardon? I just go, I just do it. Like my body says, I'm like, okay, the, the body goes, the body, you know, just enters the restroom and boom. But, All right. But I'm not sure if, if it maybe okay, I here would, you're driving yeah. the car. There you go, yeah. All right, you're driving the car along, and you come up to the intersection, and the right light turns red, and you pull your car to a stop. Why? Well, I see. Yeah, because of the conditioning, you know. Uh, and Well, no, because there's real danger in the sense if you run that red light, you know. Dang yeah. it, I just, oh, you make my <laughs> now, okay. Now you begin to see that how much of our life is driven by fear. Not very big fears. Just a little. little Yes, and you are absolutely right because this happens in my workplace with my with my my feel and my body gets kind of like if if there's rush, you know. Oh boy, you kind of like have to, you know, kind of work with it, but you still you still kind of know that behind this. Right. Yeah. You're here at work. You're there expecting a view, and so most of what we do is out of fear. Well. No, not all the time. It's it's more when something is expected of you. That's when it really happens. When it yeah, arrives. but where is that expectation coming from? It doesn't come from the outside world. It's still something that we've got in our own saliata. Now we figured that out. You we call it the something. The parent, the parent voice, authority voice, super that ego. That parent though is in fact much of the saliatana. This yeah. Okay, and in psychology in the old days, because we were still having cassettes, in fact, that was the time when we were moving out of reel to reel into cassettes, 
But the idea that they would have the psychologist would talk about playing the old tapes. I'm sorry, I'm just um, I'm I'm listening, but I'm I'm going to take out the headphones so I can um, charge it. So we would play the old tape. What is the old tape? Here's an example of the old tape. The uh, Dama dude is sitting there watching a video. He's on YouTube. And the old tape starts to play. What is the old tape? You ought to be meditating. Yeah, the old tape, like the, the duty voice. The duty voice, that's another way of talking about it. You ought to do this, you ought to do that, you need to do that sort of over thing over there. Playing those old tapes and that the motivating was going to be either resistance or acquisition. Okay. If we resist those thoughts, then we in fact will kind of generally feel bad. If we acquiesce to them, then we're, uh, even while we're not getting up from the video, we're no longer enjoying the video. We can enjoy the video until the thought comes, I should meditate, or I should be meditating, or I should spend my time not watching videos, I should meditate. And that's exactly when I notice it, and then I start to ingest wholesome thoughts, you know, wholesome good. And then automatically, you just come back to like, oh, no. But it's the little things like, oh, you invited a friend over today? Like, oh, he doesn't answer? You automatically, it's the, but it's not even you. It's like these little movements come arising. Like little by little. Like you don't even intend to. It's just like habit. Like, oh, you know, like there's no reason to worry. But yet there's the worry. Like, oh, blah, 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 blah. You know, um. It's almost, and if it's not on the level of thought, it's on the level of feeling. Mm -hmm. It's and thinking is a feeling, but it's more raw. Like if it's not just in your head, it's more like in the body. I got to do something. I, 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 you're moving around the house. You're pacing back and forth for no reason, and um, that's the that's the lesson part. Now the part that is is the one that's really obvious is the part where it's like when when you're there with it and it's really up when it's really obvious, not just like you're in your workplace and you think it's normal, but like when you're alone long enough and you and it just arises, like you're so happy and boom, all of a sudden it's something arises that kind of puts you off, like something that you really don't like. For example, fear. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. A moment ago, you mentioned about um, wandering around the house without a reason. Mm hmm. In fact, there is a reason. If there wasn't a reason, you wouldn't be running around the house. What is the reason? The reason is restlessness. Yeah. yeah. All right. And what is the underlying cause of restlessness is fear. Mm -hmm. And the fear then is, uh, let us call it nebulous, in, in the sense that it is indistinct. And not only is the fear itself indistinct, but the solution to that fear is indistinct. That's why you're wandering around the house. You're going around looking for something to get out of that feeling. And all of this is done at a kind of an un, a subconscious level. And in fact, what we're talking about is, is that people have no sati. They're not waking up. They're just sitting in... Um, 
in the state of, uh, let's call it instinctual behavior. It is instinctual for people who are feeling fear is to go stir crazy. We've got, I mean, cabin fever. That's it. What is cabin fever? I got to get out of here. Why? Because I, I, I don't like what's going on right now. But the reality is, is that being snowed in in a cabin in the wintertime sounds like a really marvelous thing. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like you can't. That's the thing when at a deeper level, maybe to not make us make it a little lofty in a sense. It's like you when you're there for long enough, you not there anymore. And that's well, what people- actually, let's look at it from the perspective of Anapanasati. And that is, is that you're wandering around the house and then you wake up and you wake up and say, oh, I'm wandering around the house for really no reason at all. But why? Oh, it's because I feel restless. Okay, and so now we can come in and we can evaluate that restless and and we can see that underlying the restlessness is fear. And then we can have wholesome thoughts like there really is nothing to fear. There are no snakes on the floor. There are no alligators in the room. The mafia Don is not there stabbing me in the back. The cops are not breaking down the door. The air that I'm breathing is not poison. Everything is is okay. This is not dangerous. Allow yourself to feel that you're not in danger that you feel safe and secure. And so we can take a deep breath and say, wow, I'm glad that I don't have to feel afraid anymore. I didn't know what I was afraid of, but I recognize right now in this moment, there is nothing to fear. Wow, what a relief. <laughs> and that's, that's uh, the, the funny thing about it is when I'm practicing and I feel so satisfied, you know what I think? I think, what am I going to ask Damarata? <laughs> like, in the sense, like, I feel like I, like, like, this is the point. It's like, if we keep doing this, eventually there'll be nothing left. That's feel- why we, that's why we play with and, and harp on the word sunyata. Sunyata. And, and it's almost like, like nothing we're all there. scared. There's nothing to it. We're all, we're all kind of like scared one day you know we're gonna die one day you know in the future like in the sense like a body will collapse and that's me but we already feel that at subtle levels not because of the body but because of our mental it generally is not a thought that someday i will die yeah That's not what's normally going on. Very few people sitting in the church pew are thinking that someday I will die. Yeah, no one thinks that because that's not. No, no one thinks that. But the fear that someday I will die is there. In other words, we're talking about something that is nonverbal thinking. Nonverbal thinking is fear. Fear is of nonverbal thinking. It's a motivator. It gets us going. And in fact, we may start to have verbal thoughts. 
And this is exactly. And so it's possible to wonder, to walk around the house, wander around the house in a state of restlessness, but you're not having very many thoughts. And and the sukha and the five factors and and the practices in the salt on basically unsatisfactoriness because like this idea that people think life is an issue like oh my body and and my like I'm born but it's really not that it's like it seems to me that it's just the way that we see it and and that's the hardest thing to kind of get accustomed to. In the sense uh, perhaps of, the way of saying it is because we're not seeing it. You're saying seeing it in a certain way. Maybe yeah. the way we're seeing it is not seeing it at all. That, we're yeah, not aware of those feelings of fear. All we have at the beginning is the wake up of why am I wandering around the house mm-hmm. <clears throat> for no reason. And because like some people, you know, like they think that, uh, that uh, like you've you've kind of like um, said that oh, okay, it's not just awareness, and you have to dynamically work with awareness. I mean, with consciousness, with your you know, with your sati, work with sati, and okay. and and remember, we remember to do the investigation. Now, that's investigation that we're talking about. I was just giving you an example of the investigation. Is there's no alligators here? Yeah. Why am I feeling afraid if I, in fact, am not in danger? Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry. Um, where is the speaker on this? The what? It's not letting me uh, have a speaker. Because you're, you're kind of a little bit low, so I just want to raise you up. Oh, I don't know about your cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it's fine. There we go. All right. I don't know. That's okay. It's good. Okay. So we were at the point of wandering around the house, and we wake up. Why am I wandering around the house? Or we wake up, and we investigate. We start asking, well, why am I wandering around the house? The answer is, oh, it's because I feel a bit afraid. Maybe the thoughts that I'm having is something in the future that needs to be done. But the point is, is that I'm afraid and that I'm restless. And so we can do more investigation and we can investigate. I I see that fear inside and that I can deal with that fear now directly. The first thing that I can do is I can make sure that there is actually no danger. Yeah, yeah. Telling ourselves and, and investigating and seeing that things are not danger should be quite a relief. Because normally we're not seeing that there is no danger. We're just experiencing the feeling of fear as if there were danger. Like I said, false positive. Yeah, yeah. Now you can think of it like this. 600,000 years ago, whatever humans were at that time, something maybe in between, all of that fear was because we were in a really, really dangerous environment. One of the things that humans have done over the many, many millennia 
is they built a society, and they did this building that society because they were afraid of all of the chaos. That Darwin is right. It's a dog-eat-dog world. Alligators eat alligators, etc., like that. It's a dangerous world. And we grew up uh, as a species with mechanisms to keep us alive in that dangerous world. It's called the self-preservation instinct, and this method of communication is the chemical systems in the body that we associate with fear. Adrenaline, cortisol, we stop breathing, we freeze, we do all kinds of things when this fear mechanism is there, but we're generally not aware of it. It's a subtle kind of fear, but we can wake up to it. A way of thinking of is is this. Freud and the psychologist and the psychiatrist talk about things that are unconscious, subconscious, and conscious, right? You've heard the word subconscious. Basically, what we can say is, is that subconscious means that we're just not paying attention. We're not wisely observing. We're not uh, attentive to what's going on. That's our subconscious. You could actually um, have the house on fire, but you don't know it. But then you smell smoke, but you're not really paying attention to the smoke smell because you're not trained to smoke, uh, to smell smoke. However, if you've been an electrical engineer who has been around a lot of electrical fires and you know what it is like, what a transformer smells like when it's getting hot, then you become quite attentive to the smells that have to do with fire. And so that person, when they, when they smell smoke, they're immediately going to say, I smell smoke, what is it? But the one who is not paying attention will smell the smoke and then subconsciously have fear without knowing what it is. So the whole point of Anapanasati is to start waking up to what's going on, or another way of saying it is there is no such thing as a subconscious. What is really going on is we're not waking up to our senses, that the senses are giving the input and we're ignoring that input. Generally, the input is ignored because we have a favorite form of input device. And we use that to the exclusion of all of the others. What is that favorite input device that we have? The favorite input device that we have is thinking. That we spin on inside the mind. We're not actually processing that smoke that's coming in through the odors of the nose. We're not thinking about it. We're not processing that data. Why? Because we're busily processing the data that we like to process. Yeah, it's funny because it's all about the preferences. Mm-hmm. Like so the sati, mm-hmm. sati is basically then the process of waking up into our senses, which is another way of waking up to the here now. How do we experience the here now is with the senses. How do we experience the past? is with the mental process. How do we experience the future is by creating it as a mental process. 
But how we live our lives happily is by being in the present moment in our senses. To come out of the mind into reality. This is why the Buddha called himself Tathagatha. The one who has come to thusness or this, thisness. That's what Tathagatha, actually the Pali word is Tathata, which actually means this is it. Now we have a much more way of, uh, much more sophisticated way of with English now from other teachers or other traditions. One would be Ram Das has the name of the book, Be Here Now. And that means something, to be here now. What does that mean? To be in your senses, to take sensory input, to look at the fact around the house, there are no alligators on the floor, <laughs> there are no snakes, there's no mafia. There is, this is a safe place. Allow yourself to feel safe. And what about when there is an alligator? To play devil's advocate, I guess. Uh, because that's the whole thing. It's why like, are you around alligators? If you see well, them from a distance, why do you go near them? Well, in a sense, what I mean is that eventually, because really, I feel like what people if fear... If there are alligators, this is a time for real fear. There is a real alligator. Real fear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like... This is it's, not a false positive. There's a real alligator coming. <laughs> it's like, let's just say, like, for example, the Buddha was very brave, right? He was, oh, fearless. He was very fearless. Fearless, not brave. Yeah, and he, but in brave, a sense... Bravery is, is fear... Plus stupidity. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and the story about um, the, the um, I think it was Angulimala. Angulimala, yes. I know the story well. And just, let's just say, let's, 86. let's just say the story, like, just as it, in the sense of, a short story in the sense, like, okay, he was a killer, and the Buddha was, you know, not, and he was there, and he could help people like that. Most of us would cringe at the fact that somebody like that would be around us. You know, we would we would run immediately. We would fear. We would we would you know, kind of fear for our life because we have a body. This is my, this is my body. This I must protect my beating heart, my organs function. In the beginning of the sutta, actually, there was reason for the Buddha to be afraid because, in fact, Angulimala was chasing him. That's what I'm saying. Like, like, but, but there's, and then there's the magic. I don't know if there's two sides, uh, two versions. Of, there's the story with the psychic powers, and I don't know if there's another story with no psychic powers, but um, or no cities. There was no. There's one with cities, and I think there's another one with no cities. And I know cities is like a whole another thing, and we don't. Let's just forget about that word. But yeah. Well, <clears throat> you could imagine at an, at the non magical level. Mm -hmm. that Angulimala got that name, by the way, um, as a, I don't really remember what his actual name was. And there's a story behind that as to why he was out doing that stuff. Okay. And why he was out doing that stuff was because he was Brahmin with a Brahmin teacher, and he had lust for the Brahmin teacher's daughter. Oh. And the Brahmin, his teacher says, okay, you can have my daughter, but you have to bring me the fingers, one finger from each dead body, 
and you have to bring me a thousand of them. And when you bring me a thousand fingers from dead corpses, you can have my daughter. Oh, my gosh. Oh, from uh, from corpses? No. Well, I didn't really matter where he got the finger. Well, I'm just saying because there are some that would make but sense. He, but the easy way, I guess, he thought was to go kill somebody. And in fact, the idea yeah. was is that uh, he already had almost all he needed. And he only needed one more. <laughs> yeah. And, the, and that was the Buddha. Yeah, like his last kind of like desire in a sense. Okay, so, yeah, that's significant. Now, one more point. And that is, is that if in fact, the way that many people think that he was terrorizing the community, the whole surrounding part. In fact, we know that because King Pasanati had uh, army troops out looking for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, King Pasanati himself was out looking for this dude. So that means that the whole community was all upset. And Angolimala knew that too. Which means that he would expect people to be afraid of him. Yeah. Because he's a killer, okay. that's who he is. Right. And, but the Buddha was not afraid of him. Yeah. But the Buddha was able to, um, let us say, hide from him. Or to confuse him. So that the Angulimala couldn't catch the Buddha. Or he, he didn't know where he was. And so he called out, stop, monk. And the Buddha responded, I have stopped. You stop too. You stop what you're doing. Okay, and so he gave him that command, and that was almost like a wake-up. It was a wake-up. He woke him up. I have stopped. You stop. Yeah, yeah. And so, that, and because of the background, I mean, this guy was not a thug or a hoodlum or uh, someone who, was, who had been uh, trained to kill. No, he was actually a Brahmin priest who had gotten confused about because of his lust for the for the daughter of the Brahmin. And so instead of recognizing that, hey, his teacher just said, no, you can't have her. Yeah, yeah, he didn't mean it. <laughs> and so um, I imagine that Angulimala had already kind of figured out that this is not the right thing to be doing. And so when uh, this famous monk, the Buddha, told him to stop, that sort of was all it took to open that door. That was sati, awareness. Wake up. Stop what you're doing. Okay. A later part of the story, there's several different things that happened in there. Um, One of them was is that after Angulimala uh, changed his robe uh, and became one of the the bhikkhus, then we find King Pasanati with his troops out looking for Angulimala. Mm-hmm. And King Pasanati came up to the Buddha because they were really good friends. If, if, if just the raw cops had showed up and found a bunch of monks out in the woods, 
that was not the scene. Oh no, King Pasanati knew the Buddha. He was a student of the Buddha. Uh, that uh, there are a number of sutras that mention King Pasanati. So when King Pasanati came and asked the Buddha, "Have you seen Angulimala?" You can imagine that the Buddha looked around and looked directly at Angulimala, maybe even pointed to him. And then he asked King Pasanati, do you see Angulimala here? Wow. Well, Angulimala, what he did see was maybe a new monk. Yeah, no, and even that sense, it's like a, it's almost a story about like the Buddha's teachings in general. Mm -hmm. It is a story about his teaching. It's not just a story. (laughs) Right, it's a marvelous story. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, I've never looked at it. I mean, I've never even kind of recognized that. Okay, so really what the Buddha is teaching here is one of his primary teachings. And that is, is that the Dhamma is for rehabilitation. It is not for punishment. Yeah. That normally when you find uh, moral judgments, that means that, oh, I'm good and you're bad, and we just leave it like that. An example of that would be the prison systems in the United States. The prison systems are designed to warehouse and to punish. They are not designed for rehabilitation. But everything about the Sangha is designed around rehabilitation including at the Patty Mock with the confession, including that, um, here's an example of that. If a monk, a, a young monk, misbehaves, and the other monks know it, they will not tell the family of that new monk about his misbehaving. Why is that? Because the, the family will feel, especially the mom, like that, uh, that this kid has failed us, that he's not living up, that we've lost face, and they'll go grab him and pull him out of the watt. Yeah. But the monks want to give the guy a chance for rehabilitation. Who knows, six months from now, he might be an arahat. If yeah. we give him a chance. Yeah. But you see, in the West, we have the idea of, oh, you've done bad, you've broken a law, it's time for you to be punished, and we don't care if you get rehabilitated or not. We just want to put you away for enough years so that we don't have to deal with you until when you get out. But when you do get out, we expect you to be bad because we didn't bother to rehabilitate you. Yeah, like a soul, like forever. You're forever bad. The bad soul. Right. When you're bad one time, that means you're forever bad. There's that time. Time is in it now. Okay. Rehabilitation is, can we do, can we make a change? Mm -hmm. So the story of Angulimala, the way that the Padimok is set up, the way that the entire Sangha is set up, as well as in many suttas, that's the whole point. That you, in fact... If I can say it like this, need to rehabilitate yourself and stop punishing yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what the superego is. That's what the critical parent inside each one of our minds is doing is, is that we're criticizing ourselves rather than rehabilitating ourselves. And the rehabilitation is never mind what you did wrong in the past. Be good right now. And that's where... That's where, like, 
it's funny because like I know what to do and that's always you know since that day of you were like that's confusion not not like neutralness it was it was very clear to me like the vision thing the vision of, of, of the um, that's post- a good point that's good awareness congratulations for figuring out that that many times a state of confusion will bring us down to a dull state and we think that that's kind of a neutrality or um, um, in fact we can get um, confused with opaca by using the word equanimity oh Opeka does not mean equanimity. It does not mean dull confusion. That the, uh, possibly the better way of looking at it is sea legs. Yeah. This is actually quite an interesting teaching. Opeka means that you can um, manage the turbulence of life around you without losing your balance. Are falling over. And so I use the analogy of the sea legs. Imagine that you've got a sea captain of a fairly large fishing boat, one that goes out to sea, a big one, but not so big as like a uh, um, an aircraft carrier or a huge um, uh, floating hotel like they have uh, with cruises, but just a, a, a ship, a, a, a fishing vessel, a big one. And that it's turbulent. When your own, um, when when the boat is docked in the harbor, the deck is flat and solid, and you can walk on it. Any landlubber can get on that boat and walk all over the boat and have no trouble. But when that boat goes out to sea, which is the natural environment of that sea, that means now you have to have sea legs. I'll stop and make an analogy. Think of it like this, that that ship that's being in harbor is like our sitting meditation, to where we get the feel of the ship before we take it out to sea. Because once we go out to sea, there's going to be a lot of stuff happening. It's called waves. It's called turbulence. Okay. So now look at the sea captain. The sea captain has known this boat. He's got on it and probably was raised on it. And he has what we call sea legs which means that he can go from the bow of the ship all the way to the stern and not have any events at all. Man, that's amazing. I mean, that's hard. In those ships, that's really difficult. Okay. As opposed to a landlubber is on that same ship. Perhaps they're sitting at the bow together and the sea captain goes to the stern. Now the landlubber wants to go there too. He's not going to be able to get to the end of that, the other side of that ship without having a whole lot of events like banging into the wall of the cabin or having to grab the ropes to hang on. He may have to heave over the side. He may go over the side. There's all kinds of things that can happen if you don't have your sea legs. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is what we then mean by upeka, which is basically also back into the idea of rehabilitation that we learn to walk or we learn to manipulate without having an event. So yeah, but... this way, a way of saying it then, that sea captain with his sea legs can go from one end of that ship to the other with, without an event, which means he's got nothing. 
Yes, but just... the land lover can't get to the other end of the ship without having one event after another. Maybe every step he takes, he's got to re-steady himself. Yeah, and and that's, uh, I guess that's like the, because like, again, like the whole confusion thing. Um, mm-hmm. It was a very, like, when that day, it was like very clear, like, boom, it was like a magic, I don't know, it was, it was weird. It was like, you were like that uh, Buddha when he said stop. That's what mm-hmm. it felt like. Like, I felt like, wow, he's right. It's I should wake just, up. <laughs> yeah, I should stop wasting my time being, like, unwholesome. I should, why, why, like, it was just very clear. Like, I didn't know the name for it until you mentioned it, but it was like the knowledge and vision of unwholesome and wholesome. Like, mm-hmm. that was clear, because I never understood that, because I always thought that it's like, a, 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 not a, I'm sorry, a behavior etiquette, you know, ethic, something to, to duty, you know, do something to, to control or something, you know, some other thing just to do, you know. But then now, it's like, it's funny, because now I see where, where it's like, oh my God, it's like some things that we think are so important are just those hindrances they're not spiritual in the sense of like oh this is this is getting me somewhere like no it's really just like that's a lot of what i learned from you in the sense of like a lot of the things that we thought were getting us places weren't like in that sense they were just hindrances which is exactly what they do they out and they think you know you think you're them that's what you think you are right but if you understand it this way now you can understand why it's so important this first noble truth this is dukkha yeah because many people will be confused they think that what they're doing is wholesome when in fact it's suffering yeah Uh, going back to the example of wandering around the house people don't recognize that that's suffering yeah and I, and I think it's, it's, it's like, it's the feeling, again, it's that feeling of eternal, I, like, oh, not again, I'm always, like, it's like that, uh, I don't know if it's just Westerners, it has to be more people, because, but it's mostly, like, Westerners that deal with that sense of, like, they're always trying to get somewhere in that sense of, like, spiritual, like, I have a feeling, that must be important, I have this feeling, that must be important. I have this thought that was like, I used to be like that in the sense of like, oh, wow. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So in fact, you're actually following along right with what we were thinking about in, in the, in the sense that we as children in Western society are um, taught and treated as if we were important. Yeah. Every child is important. No child left behind. That whole mentality, okay? And every child is important. So when we start to grow up, we begin, because we've gotten into the habit of important, we begin to look for important. We look for events to think that the event is important. An example would be an important event in your meditation or an important past life experience or uh, in the other world, graduating from high school is important. Getting uh, the degree from the university, that's an important event. So then but, why? but a college education is what they're looking at, not the event of the graduation nor the degree itself. The degree yeah. 
is how we get, that's, that's the Western mentality. And what we forget is, no, this actually is now 16 years of education. Yeah. Okay, 16 years of process. Another example of that. The child goes to the recital and plays his piano piece correctly. And everyone in that place sees that as an event. Only the old teacher knows how much that student had to struggle with that piece of music. So this recital is actually the culmination of a long process. It's not an event. But we in the West, we're very event oriented. Yeah, like so, I, I was born. That's me. It's mm -hmm. I am important. I have a purpose. This is me. And so when they bring this uh, idea of importance to Buddhism, then they begin to look at attainments. They look for labels, milestones, yeah. um, um, indications, diplomas. And, and so yeah. they hear all of these words like Sotapan and Arahant and all of that kind of stuff. It's a joke because there's a joke. Uh, Jesus would be like, uh, you wicked generation, like in the King James, who look for signs and wonders. <laughs> like, oh. like Jesus would call like a degeneration, like um, dumb in his time, because they would look for signs and wonders all the time. They would look for signs and, and, mm -hmm. and, and miracles. We haven't stopped, have we? No, no, it's it's a natural. It seems a, a, a condition, you know, we're conditioned okay. to go. Yeah. So going back to that, then, how can we come out of that landlubber who has to go from one event to the next, looking for one thing after another along his life, and how can we become the sea captain with our sea legs so we can go through our life and not have any events at all? Have, there's nothing. Nothing's happened. Which sounds like automatically kind of like grace in this in the metaphorical poetic sense, where it's like, you don't have to go through all these uh, spiritual climaxes like you don't have to like go through a dark you know night or a shadow work or have to like go ascetically fast and everything like that because i right. went through i went through all that because like like i was a christian and i had like blissful experiences i was a hindu i had blissful i took acid but all of that stuff is like i don't i it never did until that day that you told me that's confusion. I, I never, it's like I just roamed around the universe, kind of like trying to find a, look, a, finding events. Exactly. Yeah. Like something that was going to give me the, the, and see, as, as even now, as you tell me, uh, but that point in time when that whatever it is gives you, that's the event. Exactly. Like, like, like the difference between all of the, the things that are the events in my life when I learned from you is like there is no it's more like just like a wind carrying you instead of like a like a like a like a bumper car you know whoa, 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 you know uh -huh. <laughs> resting or going around doing this and I guess that's like because one metaphor I, I, I it's like uh, you kind of have like the Zen stick when you talk about the wholesome and the unwholesome because it seems like in the sense like my mind tries to go this way and then you're like nope come over here and then it's like oh and it's funny because like <laughs> okay. when you just when you just talk like that's how i experience it because like when i listen 
like I'm really trying to listen there when you mention emptiness it's like oh my god yes yeah, just you're doing the same thing man he, he's telling you the same you know do it relax calm it's like that it's like always it's getting more and more ingrained in the sense of like precisely just, so that's what yeah. we're doing is is that we're adding new fonts to the old database and there's this story like of a zen monk where he's like he couldn't handle no one paying attention to him because he kept having meditation experiences and he kept trying to tell people but they kept like putting him off because they knew that he was trying to tell them and they purposely like would give him a broom or would or would like do something and he would like lose it like internally he would like he's like no one like he would lose it was so funny and it's just similar to what a, a lot of us do like when it comes to practice like like damarato i'm enlightened <laughs> you know or like you know or something like that like where it's like really trying to figure it out like in that sense and even even precisely kind of like, so yeah and while we're trying to figure it out basically that's spinning in the mind and that um the actual way of thinking of it or the way that bhikkhu buddha dasa uh, pointed out is no, look at what you're doing. Look at what's going on. You don't have to figure anything out. What you need is more input. Yeah, yeah. Wake up. But figuring it out means I've got all the input I need. Now I need to process it. Yeah, yeah. Like as so we it's, keep it's, processing and keep processing and keep processing, but we're missing some data. It's yeah. not in the Sankara and it's not in our input. But now we're beginning to open up and getting new input, and that new input today becomes tomorrow's Sankara. It's so interesting. Yeah. And by having more and more and more wholesome moments to pile on to our old pile of, of moments in the Sankara means that now when we draw out of that database, the stuff on the top of the pile is now wholesome. Therefore, our processing will be more wholesome and our salayatana, our consciousness, will be more wholesome because we're spending time creating more wholesome and having that layer on. It, and it's almost like counterintuitive because it's like when you're in that state, it doesn't feel like you're doing it. Nope. Exactly. But yeah. there is that layering on quality of... Um, let us say it this way. Who is more likely to be happy at 2 p.m.? The guy at 159 who is happy or if the guy at uh, minute uh, 159 is miserable? Who is more likely at 2 o'clock to be happy? Neither. The guy who was happy at 159 or the guy who was miserable at 159? Who is the one who's the most likely to be happy? Neither. None. Why do you say that? Because they're both in time. <laughs> uh, yes, but one is actually practicing unwholesome. I was and therefore say that, he is most likely to continue to practice unwholesome. And the guy who is practicing wholesome 
is more than likely going to continue practicing wholesome. Mm-hmm. I thought, this I thought is you're asking to talk to... about it as a skill. I thought, I thought you were asking me a, a trick question. All right. Well, you tricked yourself, not me. <laughs> I know, right? Okay. So this is the idea. Another example of that would be you have three guys standing on the street corner, each one of them holding a violin and a bow. Which one is most likely to put the, bow, to put the violin to his chin and start bowing that instrument making music? The one who has been carrying a violin for 15 years or the guys who just saw the violin for the first time and picked it up? The guy, the second guy. Wait, well, I feel, I feel like, I don't know, that's hard question i play instruments and after a while you kind of like you know okay so the guy who plays an instrument is the guy who's most likely to pick up an instrument and play it the -hmm. guy who does not play an instrument has never played an instrument the likelihood of him picking up an instrument and playing it is not high no okay now let's talk about um the people who are working at the factory are now on break they've got a 15 minute break at 10 o'clock that's just how the factory operates and five guys come out and stand in the parking lot. Which one of them is most likely to light up a cigarette? The guy who has cigarettes with him or the guys who don't? No, the guy, the first guy. All right, the guy who's got the cigarettes is the one who most likely. Why is he likely to have cigarettes with him? Is because he's already in the habit of smoking. Mm-hmm. If you're not in the habit of smoking, then you're not likely to smoke. This is why this is the reason that we that the Buddha is talking about Shankara. It's all of the old stored stuff. It's our habit patterns. It's our habit systems, and that we need to uh, intentionally make some changes to those habits so that the old unwholesome habits die out and the new habits are cultivated. And when we have those new habits cultivated, then they're the ones who are going to more likely influence this moment. Yeah, and that's how it's, it's, it's felt. And, and so, it, if you spend 15 years in unwholesome, the next moment is likely to be unwholesome. But if you spent 14 years unwholesome, and then now the, the last year you spent practicing Dhamma and practicing the wholesome, in this next minute, which is more likely to be wholesome? The guy who has been practicing wholesome for, uh, for a, a new period of time or the one who has never been practicing wholesome at all? He's not going to start immediately practicing wholesome just at this point in time, but the guy who has been doing it. So this is the point about building up skills. This is why the, the word uh, a skill to be developed or training. This is actually what we mean when we use in English language the word practice. That's what practice is, is practicing the wholesome. Do so you that think the wholesome. And and this is the focus. This is the focus till the till the end of the practice, right? There's no focus. Act. There's no point to it. That's what I'm saying. Like there is, yeah. Like in the sense of, 
Because the, the, the point is, right now, in fact, if you want to think about it, if you are in a wholesome state, then the next like, then the next state is more likely to be wholesome than if you're in an unwholesome state now. If you're in an unwholesome state now, the next mind moment is most more likely going to be unwholesome. But if this moment is wholesome, then the next moment is likely to be more wholesome. Yeah, and that's where I feel like sometimes, like at first, when I first started with you, the confusion was that sounds like positive thinking only. And in the sense, which is... Okay, I will agree. It is, except that it's not the same as affirmations. Exactly, and that's what the Affirmations are trying to talk yourself into something you don't have. Yeah. So the young kid, the teenage girl that stands in the mirror or st- in the bathroom, looking in the mirror and telling herself, you're a wonderful person. You're smart. You've got everything that you need. You're beautiful. And she doesn't believe any of that stuff. So that inf- that affirmation is not going to do her any good because she knows that it's a lie. Yeah, that's the whole thing. You know that. Mm-hmm. And that's like the whole it's like the the subtlety of it is is it's it's funny it's almost so obvious that it's subtle at the same time (laughs) yeah all right so what we're talking about gladdening the mind is nothing like affirmations gladdening the mind is saying i can be happy right now you see the affirmations that the girl in the mirror is doing she actually is what she's thinking about is what it's going to be like at school the rest of the day. Yeah. If I could tell myself I'm beautiful now, then the rest of the day I'll feel beautiful. No, because you don't actually feel beautiful now. You're just telling yourself you ought to. Yeah. So you're giving yourself a test and you're failing the test and you walk out of the bathroom a failure, but at least you told yourself a lie. I feel good. All right. So uh, Anapanasati is completely different than that. We actually want to get into the state of acceptance or the feeling that I am, in fact, beautiful. What does it feel like to feel like I have a beautiful mind, that I feel comfortable and secure and happy? Once I develop that, now I continue to do it and develop it as a skill. So that it's no longer an affirmation that I don't need up to, but it's now... It's confidence that I, in fact, can do it. And well, yeah, confidence exactly. And the and and the, I'm more like of a poetic person, so I like to use the word grace because it's it's really graceful the way you act after you have that knowledge. In the sense you know that, and the grace comes in the sense of like a gracefulness in your in your way in your life in the way you live. Okay. Your life. We we have another word for that what uh, is that it? we use. Noble. Yeah, I like that too. I've, I've heard it. I've, you've used it, but I've never kind of, kind of put it together with the grace. Right. What does a noble person do? Well, one of the things, let's, let's look at it this way. Let's imagine that two people approaching a scene from two different ways. This guy's from the east coming west, the other guys from the west coming east, and they meet together at a place to where two other men are having a fight. 
They're having a brawl. One of the guys who has approached this fight or the brawl is Noble, and the other one is not. Who's the one who's most likely to going to get into the fight with the other two guys? Not the no, not the noble. Not the noble. No, the noble is not going to get into the fight. The one who is filled with grace is to try to separate them. Well, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> like, 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 I would use the word righteousness because, in the sense, like, what I mean by grace is more of like a ease, uh, a ease. Precisely. So the noble is at ease, but the guy who is not graceful, not noble, he gets upset when these right. two guys are fighting. Mm-hmm. Righteous. He, want, he wants to separate them. Or, and in fact, if you, if you get into, uh, if you come to the place where two guys are actually fighting and you try to separate them, guess what? You're going to get hit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Not very graceful, is it? Mm-mm. Okay. No. So this quality then of graceful or this quality of noble is basically not getting involved. Yeah. So now we can go back to the going down the ship and the sea captain, the one who has sea legs, is noble. He can walk by the fight and doesn't have to get involved with it. But yeah. the landlubber... He's going to have to go bang into that wall. He's going to go get hit. He thinks, oh, you guys should not be fighting. And so he joins the fight (laughs) to try to stop it. (laughs) Well, that that brings about a lot of, again, like, it brings a lot of intensity in your life when you start to practice more, like in the sense of you're, you're really free and alive. In the sense of but like, it doesn't bring intensity, does it? Because intensity is, in fact, what the person who is trying to uh, stop the fight—he's well, no, the one who gets intense. I mean, the noble like, is not intense. I mean, like when I say like in relationship to to just like like before, I didn't feel like life was alive. It was more numb, more kind of not rich. There was nothing to live for. In the sense, there was nothing to enjoy in that sense. My, there really like, is nothing to live for. Isn't that marvelous? That means that I can live without having to have a cause or a so, purpose. I can enjoy the heck out of my life. So <laughs> I don't that have was, a job to do. <laughs> and, and that was the, and that's the point, exactly. You realize that, is that, no, oh, oh, oh. it's like, no, wait, I'm not wrong. <laughs> People kept telling me I was wrong. And I was actually, you know, in a sense, we all feel that way at some point, I feel. Mm-hmm. some All of us get a glimpse of it, you know, in the sense of, like, as you get older and you see that, oh, wait, you know, kids, look at kids. Perfect example. Kids mm-hmm. are, and sometimes are like that, where it's like, oh, let's just get out of here and just have fun and enjoy the day and not get so caught up in, in the stuff. Um, and that's, that's, uh, that's funny, because I, I guess it's almost like, I would ask then what it's like, why, why is there so much stuff in Buddhism? If it's just so, so if you can, you can get Buddhism and just get the Four Noble Truths, Paticca Samuppada, Seven Factors of Awakening, Five Hindrances, and that's it, almost. Like, that's all you need, in a sense. Like, you don't really need anything else. Okay. So what's the point of the immaterial jhanas? And then there's, like, because 
Because is that the trap? Because like I feel like, like it is for the Westerners, right? Like because they they want those events, they want those status symbols, they want that red badge of courage. Because because for the show off. Yeah, exactly. That's really it. Like it's really it because it's pay attention because I'm this is me. I I'm finally achieving what I've always wanted, Mm -hmm. and that's the whole opposite of like not really the whole thing. It's kind of. I'm sorry to keep saying it. It's like because it, it breaks, it flips it over. It really does flip it over. Like everything is upside down. It really doesn't correlate with what I've learned at growing up as a child. It doesn't. It really doesn't. They say that in the suttas, actually. Many suttas end with a little phrase that basically says, Thank you, Gautama uh, Buddha. You have set right that which was overturned. Wow. Well, I say that to you. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the, the problem is actually that everything is upside down. Yeah, it really, yeah. And, and that we learn to turn things right side up. An example of that is a bucket. The bucket, when it is what we call right side up, is because we want to carry a bunch of stuff in it. Yeah, but I if see. you turn the bucket upside down, now you can sit on it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, which is the correct and more proper use of a bucket? <laughs> yeah. Pretty obvious. And so things are, in fact, upside down. And so what we're doing is by setting it right, the ordinary mind thinks things are upside down because they are, in fact, upside down from what is normal or what they are used to or what their sankaras. So all of the sankaras are upside down, which means they all point downwards, which means they're all wholesome, uh, unwholesome. But if we start practicing wholesome, then that means that we're pointing up. So the likelihood of tomorrow, when tomorrow's come and we have to figure something out, we have to perceive something. If the, if the recent sankaras are, are a wholesome, then we may in fact have a wholesome result. But if our sankaras that we've been storing are all unwholesome, then when we do the perception, then we're likely to do uh, to come up with unwholesome stuff. So we're talking about now back to that OCR software of do we have the right thoughts to actually determine what's really there? This is yeah, this is a this is really it's fascinating because this is actually the first step in, in old Vedic culture of a, of, a, of an adept. He would learn first. He would be introduced to a pure thought, a pure thought, a, a pure thought, okay. a wholesome, a wholesome, a wholesome thought. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it really does feel like there is a weight to that message in the sense that it really does change you. Like mm-hmm. it, it's almost like because it's like that. There's a story about a monk that he. I mean, you're pretty sure you know where he runs. In the forest saying what joy like in bliss he's he's like i'm free i'm free at last and somebody mm-hmm. asked him how, 
like I forgot what was the question, but he was a Buddhist monk and and uh -huh. he was like so overjoyed with bliss because he just knew that nothing could ever turn him back again. Mm -hmm. And that's like this. It's not like like I don't know why you would even like it's just it almost feels like my like I have nothing to say. <laughs> it feels like I have nothing. To, what? I'm I'm go ahead. Anyway, I'm uh, listening. It just felt like I like the more I understand you, the the more I almost have nothing to say. You know? Like <laughs> that's the part. Yeah, I know. I know. But it's like it's almost it's almost like that not not like it's just very re I don't know. It's just very it's very like um it's very real like it's very it hits you it hits the heart all right yeah. so let's go back to that sea captain yes once he gets to the back of the ship he's really got nothing to say about his journey from the front of the ship to the back of the ship well i there i mean i was there and now i'm here and but this but the landlubber boy does he have a bunch of stories to tell yeah. I banged my head into the wall. I barfed over the side. <laughs> I slipped on my own barf because it wasn't all over the slide. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he winds up with all of these stories about all the events that he has had to where if we have really good balance or equanimity, then uh, we wind up not having much events. Things are not eventful. Everything is because all of those events were something that we manufactured within the our minds anyway. But then, like, what what is what is a mind experiencing when it's like that all the time? Basically, in that regard, it's experiencing bad feelings. No, no, I, I'm sorry. No, I mean like like enlightened mind. I mean like a mind that's always wholesome, always aware, always awake, never stops, unremitting, completely in the seven factors. Like, are it they just like upon it? It depends on this one thing, and that is, is he taking an object or not? Oh, okay. Okay. In other words, you can just look and gaze, and then everything is green. There's like millions of different shades of green just by looking it. around. Yeah. Or I can take an object and look and see actually the, the truck. I can see the truck and look at the truck and take the truck as an object, but I don't have to. I can just look out and just gaze and not take an object. It's unbelievable, though, because you're, you're basically saying like earlier, because when I look at nature, I like I love nature and it's, it's almost unbearable to look because it's so beautiful in that sense. Like it's just beautiful. But you're saying that all of that beauty is within the perception. It's in perception. Exactly. You're creating the beauty. That's intense, then. That's very powerful. Like, because nature is like almost seems like automatically beautiful, like nature itself, in a sense. No, you see nature and you see it as automatically beautiful. Another man can see that same nature and he will and to cut it down and uh, make some money off of it. I'm sorry. Yeah, that see, that's where you got me. Like, that's where I'm like. That really, as a kid too, like that really messed with me. Like, 
seeing that like like people destroy like even you know that's like a little thing that's like a little bit like i'm that's something that i work on like having to deal with that reality that that's what's happening to this place but yeah that's when we begin to then develop really noble right view is to recognize that there are all of these different viewpoints yeah and that i am i learn eventually to not take any of them yeah 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 and that's 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 uh, that the world is not beautiful it just is <laughs> I and therefore what? i can do with it what i want and so if i choose for it to be beautiful and hot dog there it is all beautiful and everything how far can that go it, it's your mind how far do you want to take it well but what about the the create like what about the creation oh well let me not say the creation let me just say the universe because that's a that's a really western term but like the the universe in the sense of the physical let's world let's use the world in, let's use the word environment because the universe that we're talking about that you have um let us say some interaction with is not the universe on saturn or the universe that's out in um andromeda or the universe is at the edge of the galaxy. No, the universe you live in is right here in front of you, the environment that you're in, the wind on your face, the touch of the cloth on your skin, um, uh, the wall drawings, the room that you're in. This is the environment that you're in, and that that environment is neutral, is how you feel about it. That someone can walk into the room you're in and see it as a very dangerous place, and another one can walk in and say it is a very safe place. But there's no, but you don't, so you didn't mean that by like actually creating physical things. Like you meant it by like the feeling, the consciousness. You meant like by that internal, internal experience. Mm -hmm. okay. Okay. It's what we do, is what we get. Okay. Still, it's that's pretty what amazing. We get. It's just, is what we do, is what we get. And that well, happens almost instantly. We yeah. see something and we don't like it. That's a very fast change in the mind. Yeah, it seems like the the more I practice, it will give. It gets faster. Like, or I like how you say it. It's it's like everything is really fast, so we kind of slow it down. Like, Another way would say is just that the the world is just operating at the speed that it operates is actually operating at a speed that is called causality in physics. They're getting into understanding, and they, they started it from the concept of why is the speed of light the speed of light? And why, even though there are, uh, uh, let us say, consistencies in what we call the speed of light, there is still variation. An example of that is uh, looking at a pencil that's in a glass of water, and you can see that there's a curve change, or that, uh, or when you learn to go spear fishing, you cannot throw that spear where the, you see the fish. You got uh, you got to throw that spear where uh, it appears beside the fish. Uh, okay. Why yeah. is that? Because the change of light speed in water is different from light speed in the air. That light goes much slower in water. 
That's why things are distorted, especially when you're looking into water. You don't see what's in there because it's not. See, we have the perception that if I'm here and that's there, it's because the light's going at the same speed. But if uh, from this point down to here, it's going at a different speed, that means that we don't see from here to there. What we're actually looking at is over there. But the perception of the speed of light. Now, let's get back to the point that causality means that something is happening very fast. So fast that even the computers that we have or the cameras that do a billion frames a second down to that level is still so slow that we cannot detect causality. That we can, in fact, uh, there's a YouTube that has a, a camera that is running at that speed and that they uh, turn the camera on and then they shoot us a, a beam of light from a laser into a Coke bottle. And you can see over the period of time the line hit, uh, hitting the Coke bottle and all of that. Now we say, well, wait a minute. How could I have even seen this Coke bottle before we turned the, uh, the laser light on? The answer is because there was already ambient light in the room. But when we turn that light on, we could see the actual progression of the movement of that beam of light striking the cold bo Coke bottle and then be being become dispersed and all. It's actually a, quite an amazing thing to recognize. But one thing that they can't do is they cannot get a photo of all of the photons one at a time wiggling through um, the waves. That all we can see is the whole beam of light as it progresses through, but there are millions and billions of things happening inside that frame, uh, inside that beam of light as it's coming through space. Wow. That's incredible. And in, in Buddhism, there is a word for that, right? There's a difference between paticca samuppada and then causality. Yes, that is itia papajayata. <laughs> it's a long word. <laughs> itia papajayata. Itia uh -huh. papajayata is actually um, a description in Pali of the cause and effect. With this, there is that. Without this, there is not that. And there, with this, there is that is a very short period of time. Okay, so getting back to your question, now that we know that the world is operating is an incredible frequency at an incredible speed, we also uh, understand that the Buddha said it this way, that the mind, O oh monks, is fast. The mind is so fast that he doesn't even have an, an analogy for it. <laughs> He's just fast. Okay. It's fast. Here's an example of that. Think about the planet Saturn with its rings. Okay, and now think about the moon. All right, you did that in your mind. If you actually were using light, Saturn is what 90 minutes of time at the speed of light from the Saturn to the moon, and yet you were able to do it instantly. All I had to do is mention it, and there you were, you moved from Saturn to the moon. Yeah. How about a rocket ship moving from Saturn to the moon? That's going to be really slow. But even the speed of light is pretty slow compared to the mind. 
because the mind can con like it can, can kind jump. Yeah, it can jump across time. That there is no time in the mind. I can see what you're saying because, but it's okay. ultimately very difficult. To, um, All right. So like let's out. look at it from, from this perspective. Then is is that even now we understand that the mind is in fact fast enough to do the job. But what is not fast is our change of perception until we develop the skills. That that's in fact what Anapanasati is doing is it's developing the skill of waking up and looking at what's going on. And the question is, how fast can you wake up? How fast can you look? If something happens and it takes only one second, but it takes you one minute to look, then you're not going to see what happens. That's the issue with the camera that's running at one billion frames a second is still not fast enough to see causality, but it certainly is fast enough to see a beam of light moving. That's funny because if you're, let's say, for an Arhant or a Buddha or the Buddha. Um, fast dudes. Yeah, like incredible because they basically were able to, because for a human, that would feel like time stopped. Yeah, there's no time. It doesn't. <laughs> exactly. There is only the now. There is only one time. Because I've had that, that the past is a delusion. The future is a delusion. All we have is this present moment. And we have been having this present moment since before the formation of the earth. And way after time when you die, there will still be this present moment. This. The, yeah. the current moment. Time doesn't move it gives the delusion of movement just like we have the delusion of self so as far as Paticca Samuppada goes we normally teach it in forward order for understanding cause effect cause effect cause effect all right but how we practice it is in reverse order why do we practice it in reverse order? Is because we normally don't walk, wake up until we're in suffering. But yeah. if we begin to wake up sooner, then we can wake up the feelings, which Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa calls wisdom at the point of contact, which means we wake up and we see that salayatana that we, we manufactured in the mind and then how we feel about it. Because that's what impacts us and it impacts us strongly. That's what gives rise to feeling. That's why pasa or contact is one of the items. It's not just that we see something on the outside world, then we manufacture something from it using the constituent parts of our memory and our ability to process data, perceiving it. Then we come up with the object in the mind, and that object is what contacts us. And that contact then gives rise to feelings. I like it, I don't like it, etc. Those feelings that we have, if they're ignorant, then they will create a self. How does that happen? Through the clinging. If we like something, from the liking it goes to I want it. 
If I want it, that means that I've got a habit. It becomes from a want to a need, and that's where the clinging. I've got it. Well, who's got it? Who has got it? All right. This is what we mean by ownership. Ownership requires two things, an object to be owned and the owner. If there is no owner, then the object is not owned. And ownership is uh, the, the taking a hold of it, especially at least mentally. It's mine. So we actually create a self in order to own something. If we don't own anything, there's no self to own it. This is so interesting because of of that it's really making Paticca Samupada is waking you up to causality. Exactly. And the faster we're awake, then the, then the more causality we can see. We can begin to see the earlier things. Those things that may have happened a nanosecond before and we were unaware of them. Now we're waking up fast enough to see it. Maybe a, a nanosecond is way too much. Let's call it a microsecond or even a tenth of a second. This is interesting because this is the reason I, I think why I've never understood is that when you practice um, when you practice mindfulness, uh, when you practice sati, you your memory is better. Well, that's because you're looking, you're paying attention. But not like you remember, like you'll remember. Which means you're taking in more input. Yeah, it's weird. Like you'll remember like thoughts you had like seven days ago. Like you can, like you can really do that. Like it's weird. Like you'll remember, like especially like it's sometimes when you're really like when I'm like, you know, doing and practice. Uh. It feels like the mind is figuring things out, like almost like in a really fluid way instead of me in the way. It's a it's it's a it's almost like it's thinking on the level of feeling instead of thinking. Right. OK, so now what we can do is we can take that from the perspective of looking at the fact that when we talk about an event, that's something hard. It's what was a it? point in time, an event. Yeah, OK. Okay, but in fact, no, let's not look at it as a hard event. Let's look at it as a soft process. Yeah, fluidity. Okay, all right. So an example of that would then be the automobile accident. We see the automobile accident as an event. Mm -hmm. But if we go back into the minds of the individuals who were driving the cars when that accident happened, we can see that that accident was not an event that happens now. It was a process from not paying attention, maybe eating a sandwich or being on the cell phone, not looking at what you're doing, not paying attention, and then having the accident. Okay, so what we think of as an event was actually a process, and it happened over a period of time. That, in fact, even the... Um, the actual process of the accident takes time in in the sense that at each point is it as it's a now, but it's the it's not an event of the accident. First it's the two bumpers touch, and then another one crumbles, and then this crumbles, and as the weight of the vehicles come in, in fact they actually build 
vehicles now to crumble up, to crumple up because they want them to absorb the force so that it's not uh, affecting the passengers in the car so much. And this all is seen like on, 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 on a wisdom level, you would see that and you wouldn't. You like, see the whole process. Yeah. And it's not an event now. It's a process. Wow, that's incredible. That's really incredible the way that that's that you use. Like, it's incredible because I never put Patisha Samupada and causality like they work in the sense like they can they're practical like you're it's understood there's a reason for causality and the sense of in the buddhist teachings yeah well the buddha worked with reality he did not work this is not a magical teaching this is not a philosophical teaching this is extremely practical yeah and that's where again when the first phrase i said about witness and separated or maybe discerned from the field of action which is the field of karma you know doing things unwholesome so or, or wholesome um mm-hmm. so for an arhant he's above he is witness he is the knower of the world right like a buddha like the buddha would say i'm the knower of the yeah. world yeah. but he meant that that he knew it well he how re- much of the world do you have to know no, but he knew it like like as it is. He didn't know it in the sense of meaning making. All right. Well, here's the reason I'm asking that question is because in the Vasudhimaga, this word that you're talking about um, is actually the word is uh, Lokavitu. Uh, being above the world is Lokatara. Lokatara. Okay. Lokatara is to be above the world. We use the word supramundane or transcendent or um, non-attached, that we, we're attached to the world. Here's the world. I'm attached. But now I'm not attached. Now I'm above the world. Okay, that's Lokatara. Uh, Lokavitu uh, means the knower of the world. But in this case, what we only need to know is is it wholesome or is it not wholesome? Yeah. To where the Vasudhi Maga understands um, uh, this loka vitu as the Buddha knows every fish. No, no, no. no. He knows that's, every shark. That just doesn't make sense. It doesn't that make doesn't sense. It doesn't make sense at all. No. But knower of the world means knowing that the world is dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, knowing basically the mind. Mm-hmm. Knowing the cause and effect relationship that manages everything. Wow, and I, I, it's like you don't really see how big that wholesome and unwholesome means then in the context of everything that he taught. You just mm-hmm. think that it's a part of it, a part of the teaching. Uh-huh. Or like, some, you know, wholesome is just a little bit, and then there's meditation. Like, that's how I would think about it, like, in the past. There's wholesome, and then there's like jhanas, and then there's this, and then like fragmented everywhere. It's like very put together. You're putting it all together. Well, that's exactly how it should be. But in fact, um, my good friend Achan Damavitu and I have had several long conversations that basically the topic uh, of of the conversation is, look, 
the Dhamma is not complicated at all. It's just, it's a tiny little thing. It's only one thing. Yeah, yeah. It's only one little thing. The Buddha was right. He only teaches one thing. Dukkha, Dukkha, Naroda. So the Four Noble Truths is nothing but the unpacking of Dukkha, Dukkha, Naroda. This is suffering. This is it. This is the cause of suffering. This is what it's like to be free from suffering, Dukkha, Naroda. And this is the, um, the method that we bring about this state of Dukkha, Naroda. So the Four Noble Truths unpacks. Let's look at the second Noble Truth. Uh, what is the cause of suffering or the cause of Dukkha? is greed, ill will, and delusion. If you look at Paticca Samuppada, what you will find there is step number 12 is dukkha, step number one is ignorance, and right there in the middle is the feelings, greed and ill will. So in fact, Paticca Samuppada is nothing but the unpacking of the second noble truth. When you really are looking at what's going on, you're looking at how the mind works and you have then the choice of particular points along the way of whether you're going to be mindful so that you can stay in the wholesome as opposed and, to falling ignorantly into the unwholesome. And did he have a shorter, I've heard you say he had a shorter version of Paticca Samuppada? Yeah, the short version is the second noble truth. But I, I meant like a, 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 a shorter list. Instead of 12, it was like four or, or, or eight. Well, <clears throat> we can look at it like this. It's just a sequence of events. And that the foundation for that sequence of events is the five aggregates. Yeah. So within Paticca Samuppada, you're going to find all of the aggregates. Okay, in fact, uh, in the formal definition of Paticca Samuppada, it goes from Ajiva, ignorance, to Sankara. In the Sankara, you have the body. You have not just the body, but you also have thinking. You also not only have the verbal Sankara, but you also have the Chitta Sankara, which is the feeling complex. So you have the body, you have thoughts, you have feelings, all of that stuff is wrapped up in the Sankara. So we're looking at the fact that with the aggregates, this Sankara is not me. I am not my memory base. Just like your PC is not the, uh, the, um, the fonts that the OCR software needs. Okay, the data that's stored in your computer is not the computer. Yeah, yeah. You can understand that, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so that means that you are not your memory, because that's what you've got stored up. Your memory base is the same thing as all the data on a computer. The computer is not the data. You are not your memories. This is... Uh... It's, it's really like a heartwood, you know, like some people would say, okay, so that means that the inside is the cell, you know, like not the outside, like, like, you know, like the, the computer, like, no, it's like heartwood of the Bodhi tree in the sense of like, mm -hmm. nope, there's absolutely nothing. 
Like there's there is no self in those sankaras, just like there is no self in perception, there is no self in consciousness, there is no self in the body, and no self in feelings. However, just like the automobile, when you take the bumpers and the seats and the interior and the motor and you put them all together, now as a unified system, that that uh, car then gives them a new thing. It's called transportation. That if you took all the wheels and all of the motors and all the gears and everything out and laid them out in a great big pile, then you ask the question, well, where's the car? Yeah, no, no car. There's no car here. All I have is a bunch of car parts. But when I put all the parts together, that's when we have a car. And what is the value of the car is transportation. Now, I'm just substituting the word car here for chariot, and I'm talking about a sutta that's a dialogue between Nagarjuna and Melinda. <laughs> but you can have modern-day chariots is the car. <clears throat> what is carness? Carness, if there is carness, is the transportation that the car provides. It's not the beauty of a car in a showroom. It's the fact that you can get in that car, turn on the engine, and drive it off. It's like the actual experience. Mm -hmm. The The spirit of the car is transportation. Okay? So, you have your aggregates of the body, the feeling, the mind, the perception, the sankaras, your memories, all of that kind of stuff, the five aggregates. There's no you in any of it, anywhere. But when you put all of that stuff together... Now you have the possibility of creating something new out of it. And one of the things that we ignorantly do with our new piece of transportation is we run it right into the wall. Yeah, yeah. Who is that wall or what is that wall? Me. (laughs) We create that me. We create that transportation. Okay, so the the actual transportation now... Unfortunately, well, maybe not unfortunately, just as is, that the Buddha didn't have tools like we have with general system theory. He didn't know neuroscience, but he certainly knew enough about neuroscience. He knew enough about uh, the, sen- um, uh, the idea of general system theory to point out, look at all the constituent component parts here, there is no self. But if you put all of those parts together and run through this sequence of events, you can come up with something new that doesn't really exist. Transportation really does not exist. Now, I feel like we could perfectly um, like go into the last type of, because this is a, I feel like everything is just summing up perfectly. It's like, this is where I think, because I feel like, I'm not different than most of the people that talk to you in the sense of we all have similar confusions and we're um, all, we're all born in that culture and that yeah. culture is confused culture. Yeah. If, yeah. It were, if it were not a confused culture, then, then the parents would play with their children instead of bossing them around. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Um, like you said, we create something new now. The, the um, unwise would gratuitously take the self and use it again the same way it always has. Mm-hmm. Now, I've heard in Zen 
used um, mastery of, of self, like the self, like you use the self, not like there is a self, but that you use be it. Careful, be careful that there are many different definitions and subtle different uh, changes in this word self. Please, yeah, because I come word from word self so. has dozens of different translate or different definitions and translations, and so we need to be careful about the word self, just like we need to be careful about the word love. Mm -hmm. And that, because, and that's what because I read a lot of uh, you know Ramana Maharshi. I read a lot of uh, Kashmir Shah. You know, they talk about the self, and then they talk about the ignorant jiva, but they, and then they talk about the higher self. Um, which is like the, the, you know, all of those are mental concepts. Yeah. yeah the reality yeah, the is, is that these are just concepts. There's no actual yeah. self. But that's how it's, 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 you know, concepts. So how can we as, as to not get trapped in that concept? Like, cause obviously are we creating a better self? Cause like, that's the whole, also a little okay. doubt. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Sure depends upon the way that you're using the word let's okay. use a different word for a moment just to give an idea of what we're talking about and that is the word soul mm -hmm. because anatta and atta would be better used towards soul rather than self because the concept of an atta is something that's permanent long-lasting strong and unique those are the various qualities. Why do I call it unique? Is because if you had a busload of people go over the side of the bridge and they all died at the bottom of the ravine. Okay. How is the comma machine going to figure out which person is put which? Or if there's a God, then how is the God going to know which soul is which? That's the whole thing is that at the end of it, it's there is no one thing. There is no one. That's why we want to make sure that we understand that there is no soul that is permanent and fixed. <clears throat> and that is powerful enough to survive death and that is unique. In other yeah. words, when the Buddha says that you are the heir of your karma, He's not talking about that after you die, that you're going to get your ass busted by the comma machine for the stuff you did in this life. It means yeah. you're the error of your actions right now. <laughs> yeah. If you have unwholesome thoughts, then you're going to be the heir to those unwholesome thoughts right now. Yeah. And so this is a problem with uh, Buddhism that we have in the West is this English language bad translation. Every Pali word that I know is badly translated into English. Yeah, it, it, it's with it's with a lot of things. It's not just Pali. It's with every almost every religion. Every language that way. Yeah. Translation of language. I mean, they've even written movies and, and stuff called Lost in Translation. Yeah, that's why it's never meant to be teached. Much of the suttas are, in fact, are poetry. But poetry is notorious for not being well translated. That, in fact, some languages, due to their nature, are actually poetic. French is much more poetic than English. If you have uh, endings of words, like um, 
when you decline a noun in English, we don't have much declination. And so the various cases. But if we uh, if we have a uh, uh, a romantic language or a uh, language that lends itself well to poetry, then the ending of the words will often be that way, too. We have to search for that in English, but in Pali, it's built in. An example of that is Budam Saranam Gachami. Dhamam Saranam Gachami. What we're doing is uh, we use the word Buddha. Why is it Budam Saranam Gachami? Why? Because it's in a different case. If you look at the translation correctly, you'll see that I go to the Buddha, which is is an objective case. When I say I go to Tommy, we don't change the word Tommy. We don't say I go to Tamam, but we do in a way when we say I go to see them, they. You hear that M sound in them? Him, whom, that's a remnant in English language of the dative case that is on every noun in Pali. The dative case, you said? Dative case, object, the object. Yeah. Okay, the object. In other words, um, uh, Sam knows me. I know Sam. So you can see that we make a change in the object uh, from the from the nominative case to the dative case, or from the no, uh, from the name to the object. In our pronouns, we still have differences. But in our nomenclature, we have we don't change the case. So I go to Tommy or I see Tommy is the same as Tommy sees me. Okay, so I see the house. Tommy sees the house. I see Tommy would not be done in in Polly. It would be uh, I see Tommy. It would be uh, I see Tamam. Tommy with an M sound at the end. Okay. That when we have so many nouns that would be ending in dative case, then we can actually become quite poetic. Every noun we say, we say it uh, so that it ends in dative case and and everything begins to rhyme. Yeah. It's like Pali was a picture language. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like like Sanskrit was. Very. Very ancient, and not only that, but many words served multiple purposes, just like they do in English. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so many words serve multiple purposes, but when we translate them out of the Pali into the English, we tend to get one word out of it, and we use that same English word for all of these occurrences of that same Pali word, where in fact it would be useful for us to change the language that we're using in English to better understand what the Pali actually was saying. And anatta is one of them. Being translated as self is completely confusing to everyone. But if you can understand it to the point of, oh, there is no soul, because we can understand that. Everything is temporary, and you solve that, because the, the soul, by definition, is permanent. Actually, there was a word you used earlier that I really love to replace the self translation is ownership, because everyone can really personally 
uh, actually really understand that. Because soul, I guess, like, a lot of people really don't believe in a soul in America. But, like, in the sense, like, I've met at least. Like, there's a lot of people nowadays that don't believe in soul. Um, but they believe in owner. I can still own things. Because mm-hmm. the owner is different than a magic soul. So, like, like a... Because I guess, because in the Buddhist time, it would have made sense more to say that because a lot of people thought they were like probably God or something or like super out there and thinking that they were like, you know, they had some power and they thought they were God or or something. Um, Here's something that you might be interested in. Mm -hmm. And that is the word Atmos as opposed to the word Atom. All right. The word atom is what I had thought, and many others generally think, is when we use the word atomic, which means not splittable. Okay. And so we think of that the word um, uh, ata comes from the word atom. But now we understand that that's not the case, that in fact the the concept of an atom from Greek was actually about uh, concurrent with the time of the Buddha. But there is a very much older word that we have to understand that is actually what we're looking at here. And here's where we can see that. Have you ever heard of Gandhi? Do you know what his first name is? What is it? Actually, Mahatma. Mahatma Gandhi, yeah. Okay, take the uh, Maha off and you have Atman. Yeah, Atman, that's another word that's used. That is not Atom, is not Maha Atom, is Ata, excuse me, Maha Atman. Atma. Atma, okay. This word is where we get the word atmosphere, the atma that is surrounding the earth. The sphere is the sphere of the atma. This is where the word spiritual comes from. It's from the air. When we talk about a spirit, in fact, even with alcohol, why does alcohol, why is alcohol called a spirit? I don't know. It's because it gives off a spirit. Oh, yeah, I guess, okay. Mm-hmm. It gives off a spirit. So, um, the word spirit here, um, back to the old language, is atmos. And the word uh, atma. Uh, or anatta actually means no, you are not the uh, atmos or the big self. There is no self there. Another way of talking about it is is that no, you are not the air. You just breathe it in and breathe it out. But when you breathe in, you're breathing in the breath of life. Yeah. And so almost all of our religious history from all of the cultures throughout the world have to do with the air. That's where the word air comes from, by the way, is a contraction of the word atmos or atmosphere. Yeah. And it actually, this is what we mean when we say uh, Mahatma Gandhi, 
that word translated as to great soul, not great self. Yeah. Okay. So the uh, that's the that's the mistake that the original translators like uh, I.B. Honer and Riles Davies and that group made was they translated the Pali wrong because they were looking at the wrong Greek word to understand it. They were looking at the word atom instead of atmos. And when they and if they did, then they would have translated at, uh, anatta as no soul. Yeah. And so they caused confusion, oh, so much confusion by translating that as no self. And now we're stuck with it. We are yeah. stuck with so many English language words that just don't fit what we're doing. I mean, I can give you along this. Concentration is not samadhi. Uh, uh, the monks don't carry a bowl. They carry a pot. Yeah. It's yeah. pot in the poly. And yet they translated into bowl. Why? I guess it's because Catholics don't have pots on their altar, but they do have bowls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Another one, dukkha, translates to suffering. Most people are not suffering, but they are dissatisfied. Yeah, and that's the better. I mean, they're getting better over time. And... Well, we keep talking to the about uh, all of this and putting it out on the internet and whatnot like that. And in fact, some of the things that I would say is is that five years ago, when you would read what was on Reddit and uh, the stuff that's in the spiritual world, and you'll see a particular kind of mistake they make. Now, five years later, because the noble dhamma is getting out, some of those mistakes are no longer being made. Or at least the noble dhamma is getting into, uh, uh, is, is having an influence or so slowly on Reddit. An yeah. example of that is they're, they're beginning to use the word anapanasati. Yeah. Which was a completely foreign word. Nobody used it before. Ten years yeah, ago, it's... nobody would know anapanasati. Now everybody kind of knows that it, uh, it's a better word to use than meditation. In fact, meditation, you will not find meditation or anything like it in the Pali. We don't meditate. Yeah. Meditation yeah. is something Christians do. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, I was going to say, have you, uh, you would probably like, well, maybe not, but some of his words, uh, no, not there, there, uh, Theravera, Nana Theravera. He's really old. Um, he was, uh, he was, he was, he made the book called Notes on the Dhamma. Uh -huh. um, and he would, he would translate uh, things like boundless samati. He would never use, ex uh, uh, he would never like ex uh, exchange the English for words that couldn't be translated because he was also not from America. So he mm -hmm. understood that, I guess. They have, but their translations are really rare. A lot of people don't know about them um, because, and he puts the, in his books, he puts the Pali next to the English. And he's like, right. Yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of the problems would be solved with, within, let us call it Western Buddhism. If all of the words that were uh, translated, all the important words, when I say important, all the words that are causing confusion, if they would put the Pali in there and maybe a footnote as to what this Pali word means, 
then we wouldn't be using words like concentration. I hear the words concentration all the time. They think that I meditate to concentrate the mind. Okay, right. But if you want to know what the Buddha taught, he didn't teach that. Yeah, like you would say boundless or, or no boundaries. And that's how they would translate the, the highest, like they would, they would, the Buddha would talk about boundless samadhi. And that's how they would translate it instead of infinite something. No concept of infinity. The Buddha did not even have the concept of infinity. Why? Because the mathematics of the day didn't have a division by zero. Yeah. They didn't even have a zero. Yeah. Okay, so so there was no concept of infinity. And so anytime that Bhikkhu Bodhi is using the word infinity in any of his translations, he needs to have a wake-up call. Don't use the word infinity. The Pali word is boundless. Yeah, and and this was a... this was exactly his thing, and he, but he was a very adept of also existentialism. Um, so like pathpress.org is, is, a, is a Buddhist like kind of organization where they sell books um, of like kind of like, uh, you know, it's kind of like their style or something. I don't know. It's kind of like a very, very unknown thing. Um, it's weird, but it's very beautiful how they translated words, though, like they were the best. So far, I've never found better translators to to Buddhism um, texts. And these guys were very, didn't know them. No one very knew them. Their books were kind of like not popular as much. Uh, but they're actually extremely, extremely like Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. It's almost incredible, actually. Um, but anyways. Um, actually, that's another point. And that is Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa spoke, let us call it lower than ordinary Thai. Uh, He did not speak in a very high intellectual way. He spoke uh, basic, um, almost low class, street language, you could call it. And yet all of the translators, especially um, uh, Santicaro, but uh, Robert Bucknell is also uh, doing this, and that is, is that they take the Thai translation, this low Thai, and translate it into high pollutant quality university language in English. Santikaro, he was the guy. Have you have you seen YouTube? If you type in Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, you'll see like all his lectures. All of the translations, uh, most of the translations will have uh, Santicaro's fingers on it. Yeah, I thought he was translating live while Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa was talking. Sometimes. Okay. Occasionally. Okay. Mostly, no. Mostly, Santicaro is getting the old tapes mm-hmm. of stuff yeah. that he, had, he wasn't there for. But there, uh, especially the book... Um, uh, Anapanasati, a manual for um, serious beginners, I believe is the. I have it. Yeah. it. Okay. I don't think that Bhikkhu Buddha Das, if he knew uh, uh, the word serious, he would have approved of uh, Santikaro using that. Because Why? Anapanasati is, is the practice of coming out of being serious. Yeah, yeah. But in a way, you could say, okay, Anapanasati is for serious beginners, but it is for the frivolous experts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
that we come out of the serious, okay? But the translations then of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa is a very high quality, almost university education kind of language to where the actual Thai is rudimentary, low class. And so also that we could think of maybe the Pali language is also rudimentary and low class, but when it's translated into English, wow, is it highfalutin. Yeah, it's like actually a great book. Um, Being Dharma is one of the best books I read that isn't complicated by Ajahn Chah. Well, it wasn't by him, but, you know, they wrote his stuff down and it's very similar. It's crazy because I read that book like three times and I couldn't get it. Even though it's almost the same thing like you said, like he kept saying wholesome and wholesome. Like it's very similar. It's not like highfalutin, but it's crazy. I couldn't understand it because of all the highfalutin stuff that I learned before. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah. Right. So the translations out of Pali and out of Thai often interfere with the actual teachings that were given in that original language. Yeah. And, and this and, is important. And so that's why it takes more work than necessary. I think and that's and what the, my job is. I've already done all the work. And in it, fact, most of the work that I had to do was not even done by me. It was done by Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. I'm just sitting on his lap. And trying to teach low-class Thai or at least low-class Dhamma the way he did. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a whole nother thing. It's really a whole nother thing. I mean, I'm not trying to say like, it's not like great to have all this information. But it is um, detriment to think. It is out. if you can pack it all together into one little small package. Duka Duka Naroda, and I've got it. Because like it's it's it'll be worse if we end up like having six you know thousand Bibles and you know you know what I mean. End up like that because that's really. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're already almost there in the sense there's so many books, but I like this. Like We've you got too me. many books. People yeah. over the years have asked me, why don't you write a book? And it's just yeah. what. How many books do you need? You've got a whole library full of books and you want me to write one and you can go and put that on the shelf too? What's yeah, the point? I was, I was, uh, I was actually going to even ask that once, but I was like, he probably, he probably would just say like, go read Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa or something like that. It's, yeah. it's, uh, There's already been enough books. You don't need to read books. You need to sit down and read your own mind. <laughs> and even then, I think even the most having having like people like you around like physically in a monastery or something or just someone around because in reality like i would never understood this probably until i was older or something if it wasn't for you like if i didn't meet you through skype right now you know lately and all that especially since the books themselves are not intentionally obscure they just are obscure yeah, obscure partly because the people who wrote the books didn't understand. There's in fact one particular point on the on the Dhamma talks that we know of that gave rise to the book that we just mentioned of uh, Anapanasati for serious beginners, to where Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa is teaching in Thai, but he knows a little English, and so when he hears Santicaro then translate him out of Thai into English, he punches Santicaro and says, no, 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 you got that all wrong. This is what I actually meant. And then Santicaro has to retranslate into English saying, excuse me, I screwed up. 
I didn't understand what Bhikkhu Buddhadasu was saying at all. And so, and, and that happens. Yeah. Even translators who are the, the ones who were designated, the formal translator, the It's Kadits, Santikaro is on top of the pile. He's the best translator we have for Bhikkhu Buddhadasa. Yeah, but he's I, also I, quite confusing. Yeah, I feel like why don't they just teach Thai and English too? Like, I mean, I'm sorry, like English as he, like a Thai monk is growing up or something. Well, um, I would suggest that people who are really serious in the Dhamma and really want to know, uh, especially if they're intending to become a teacher, they should learn some Pali. Not enough to where you can actually speak Pali fluently. I don't think anybody on the planet Earth can do that. We don't need that anymore. Don't need that. But uh, but uh, on um, Dhamma Central, or excuse me, Sutta Central website, they have most of the translations by um, uh, Sujito will be done so that you can put the Pali, English, line by line, a line of English, a line of Pali, a line of English, a line of Pali, and that's especially with a rollover dictionary. Now you can really look at what's going on. Yeah. That in fact, many of the things that are not, um, not understood, let's say it this way, that the language of the Pali is a magical language and that the magical language of Pali was used by the people of the time to say um, real things. Mm -hmm. Magical language was used to describe real things. In English, we use magical language only to describe magic, and we use real things to describe reality, with a few exceptions. An example of that would be in Hollywood, they will talk about devas. Yeah. What is a deva in Hollywood? It's the star. It's the girl who knows how to really belt out a song, okay? Well, in Nepali, the word deva is used for high-class people. That, in fact, the king would be called a deva. He'd be called a deva to his face. And so now when we see the Pali and see the word deva, the translators will translate that word deva into gods. And the no. Pali didn't mean the word God when it used deva. It's just talking about a king or a prince or an ordinary person using magical language to describe a real thing. Yeah, this is uh, the same thing with uh, Carl Jung wrote about this when he went to visit India and he studied um, different yogas. And he said, no, no, these colors and all these names mean physical things to them. Things. Yeah, like physical right. medicine. Absolutely. Like We're using magical language to describe real things. Yeah. But because yeah. of the English language and we being raised in, in the English language, we assume that when they're using magical language, they're talking about magical things. It's crazy because he even said we, we as Westerners or modern people start from this and not from uh they start from the like you know the chakra thing it's it's a from funny the analogy they start right. from we start from the crown which is all spiritual magic mm -hmm. and then they start from the bottom up mm -hmm. like in a real like a real way 
which is why if you actually notice in, in, in modern culture, there's a lot more like uh, stories about seeing things. Like like in the sense of like, like not just a myth, but like I really saw it like there's these uh, cultural archetypes or or things that people see if they let their mind go crazy or something like that, or they do the, the something like that. But it's it's unrelated. Or even go clear in a way that we can see things see them clearly but have no language to describe it yeah yeah and so we will use magical language to describe real things and then the the audience will hear that magical language and imagine magical things yeah until you hear that until you sit down with the teacher behind the behind the closed doors <laughs> right yeah it's funny because no this is all absolute ordinary real reality yeah absolute ordinary real reality that some things are wholesome and some things are not wholesome yeah it's it's funny because uh maharishi mahesh yogi when he came to america he called uh one of the presidents at the time i'm the president at the time mm -hmm. i'm public he called him a rakshasa a rakshasa and that's uh -huh. like a demon or something and then somebody asked them behind closed doors, "Why did you really mean that? How can you say that? He's like, no, everybody's the same. Everybody's ordinary. It was just for people. It was just it was just a play. It was like a it was for ordinary people because, you know, in the sense like he can't say that to everyone because not everyone will understand that yet. Like mm -hmm. everything's just or everybody's the same. It's all the same. Another example of that are the parables of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, the okay. Samaritan. Those thing. parables are designed to only speak to those who can really hear what's going on. Everybody yeah. else turns them into magic. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's really it's hard. The teacher, in a sense, I feel like prepares you, and that's what I felt like. Like still, even like in the sense with you, like you kind of prepare, prepared me in the sense, and still in the sense, like I don't even know where I'm going, but it's awesome. <laughs> it's like the sense. It's like well, that that you're you're not going anywhere. And that's the awesome part. Yeah, yeah. It, it's have it's, you here's an example. In a train yard or in the bus station, we have the feeling that the tr bus is moving or that the train is moving because we look out the window and we see the train over there moving. And we think it's me that's moving. Especially if you look on both sides and you've got two trains moving and our and our train is sitting still, but it gives us the delusion that we're moving. Yeah, it's quite disconcerting if you've ever done it. Yeah. No, I don't think I've done that before, but I okay. know what you're talking about. You haven't, you haven't been in a bus before and, and seen another bus take off and you think that your bus is going forward where in fact that bus is backing up. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking about. I have, yeah. Yeah, that okay. is a, it's weird, especially, um, there's a lot of things in life that we experience that twist perception. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, people don't notice it, but like little, like even this, you know? Ah, but if you think about it, then um, in that regard about which train or which bus is moving, means that if we do a little bit of investigation, we can figure out, oh, this bus is not moving. That one is moving. Yeah. yeah. Right. But mm -hmm. 
but it takes an investigation. That's what the Buddha is all about. Let's start looking at what's going on so that we can get a better understanding of reality. Yeah. Especially within our own mind. We have to look, have to keep looking. Yeah, and that's so, the fun part. Back to the, back to the point about Paticca Samapada, how quick can you wake up so that you can get what's going on in the mind? In the beginning, here's an example. When we are brand new or even no Dhamma at all, we get angry, we get into an argument with someone, but then eventually we wake up. Sometime the argument is going to be over. If no one wakes up, we're going to wind up in violence. And if some, no one wakes up in, even in the violence, someone's going to wind up dead. But sometime or another, before violence, people will wake up. An example of that is the guy who goes uh, having an argument with his wife, and he recognizes that he said something wrong, and he'll storm out of the house and slam the door, which means the argument is over. It may not be over in the mind, but both the people in that argument know that this argument is not going right. There's dukkha in here. Let me get out of this. So there is a wake up for everybody. We do wake up. If we don't wake up at all, we're going to wind up dead. Yeah, it's almost like we're aware, but we're not aware that we're aware. Mm, Okay, but there is a bit of a wake up. So the question is, how soon can you wake up? Can you wake up before you get really angry? Can you wake up before you say your first angry word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you wake up to the feelings that are arising for the anger? Then can you wake up to recognize that the way you perceived things was incorrect? Then can you wake up down to the point of consciousness? Okay, so it's faster and faster until you get down to the point where you recognize that you do not have to take a mental object to perceive. You do not have to take... You do not have to take a visual object to perceive it. That's funny because... You can leave it without an object so that there is nothing to perceive. We keep moving from object to object to object to object until we're not taking any object anymore. And now we're just complete open perception, or excuse me, open uh, consciousness with not processing any of it. I mean, and also that's... look at it like this. Normally, when we live in the regular world, we see something and then we think about it and then we create something and that's what impacts us and that's how we feel. But if we begin to see that sequence of events, we can come down to where I can just take an object. But before I even bother to perceive it, I'll go take another object and then another object. And then another object until I stop taking objects so that there's nothing left to perceive. What that means is now we're taking in a flood of information because so much is happening. But normally what we do is we'll take one thing and we'll process it. Then we'll take another thing and we'll process it. But when the mind gets really fast, we can come down to the point that we're not processing anymore. We're just absorbing. Wow. That's beautiful. I mean, that's incredibly, I mean, that's, I see it as beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. uh Uh-huh. Right. All right. But anyway, 
let's call this one short because we've been going at it about three hours now and I've got other students calling. Um, but this has been quite a delightful talk. Yes, it has. I'm going to reflect on it and it's so much, so I can't wait to, you know, look. All right. Well, we'll see you in a few days, Dennis, and we'll continue talking. Meanwhile, enjoy. Er, allow everything to be beautiful in your mind because your only option is to make it ugly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> allow the beauty because that's what's in your mind. But also understand that the beauty is something that you're doing with the reality. That reality itself is not beautiful, but you choose to accept it as beautiful. I will. Thank you. All righty. We'll see you.